0: My name is Jenny.
1: My name is Ted.
0: My name is Gray. And,
1: and this, this is Animorphology. Animorphology.
2: The invasion. The visitor. The encounter. The message. The predator. The capture. The stranger. The end. Am- the secret. The end. The forgotten. The reaction. The chain. The unescapable warning. The, the decision. The of departure. The slow discovery. The proposed threat, 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 threat. The weakened conspiracy. The, the separation. The, the deception. The suspicion. The mystery. sacrifice. The The, activity, attack, the, answer, the beginning. Answer. Book 53! Book the Answer!
1: Um, there
2: were no ants in this. I feel let down.
1: Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Ooh, we're starting early. This is this is minute one. <laughs> so, Yikes. okay.
2: You guys, this book was so much. And is, also, I loved
0: it.
1: Yeah, is there even anything to say about it before the summary? <laughs> I also loved it. Great. Did you love it?
0: I also loved it. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Um, but you know which answer we actually got? There was one which very answer? specific answer we got, which is... How tall is Jake? How tall? Okay, we didn't get an exact answer, but we got a very close answer. We did. That's
2: clearly what this book was about. Wait, did and I miss it? I,
3: <laughs> I think I missed it. How did <laughs> I miss it?
2: He, he says he's he said, almost six foot. Yeah.
1: He said oh. he morphed from a, like,
2: whatever insect, to, like an almost oh. six foot teenager.
1: I completely missed yeah. it. Wow. Yeah. There is our answer. I'm disappointed in yeah, myself. So dead. I thought you were going to say Jake's last name.
0: Also Jake's last name. We learned Jake's last name. I have thoughts about Jake's last name. Oh, I'm so
2: excited to talk about them. We're going to get to it. There's, there's so much in this book, and I would love to hear all the things that are there. Please, Ted, would you tell us?
1: All right. So when we last left our intrepid Animorphs, they had blown up the entire Yorkpool Pool and most of the city that they live in along with it. Uh, so at the beginning of this book, the pool ship appears, the giant lobster-like predator in orbit that... <laughs> sorry. It's lobster-like We're only in the sense that it is a this. predator. <laughs> it actually looks like a three-legged spider.
3: <laughs> um, that was priceless.
1: <laughs> And it it has appeared hovering above the wreckage of the former York Pool to uh, provide local Candrona support for the Yerkes. and Jake sees it and he's like, alright well, the pool ship, that's it that's the target. If we can if we can take out the pool ship somehow then, like, that's the next thing. Yerk pool, pool ship, war over. Um, so that's like the stakes for the endgame. The Animorphs return from seeing the pool ship to a council of war with Ava and Toby and some of the other parents back in the Horkbidjir Valley. And they're initially thinking destroy 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 if we keep eliminating candrona the yerks will starve and that's game over toby has a better suggestion which is that they could not destroy the pool ship but capture the pool ship because it has a very formidable dracon beam cannon and other weapons and it has a bunch of hork on board that could be freed the council eventually decides that maybe this infiltrating capture plan is going to be better in order to do this, he's doesn't totally have a plan, but he's hoping one will come to him. Um, <laughs> part of his plan is to reestablish contact with the Chi, who they've lost contact with. And part of his plan is to reach out to the human resistance. There is a general nearby, General Doubleday, who is working out of a mountainside bunker to mount an attack on the Yurk forces. And Jake demorphs in front of the general kind of doing the same routine that he did with the governor and is like hey buddy listen to me i'm going to need you to provide a diversion so that we can win the war it takes him a while to persuade him but finally he's like okay look you're going to need to provide this diversion but first you're going to have to wait three days to starve out any of the yurks under your command so this gives the Animorphs kind of a three-day clock for when they're going to uh, try and take out the pool ship the other reason it's so urgent is that the yurks are hard at work building a new Yurk Pool in the, the wreckage of the old Yurk Pool. Once that Yurk Pool is established, the pool ship is probably going to go back into space and the animorphs will lose their chance to capture it this easily. The Yurk Pool is being built by a ton of tax and controllers and they need to figure out how to delay construction of the Yurk Pool as much as possible, at least three days. And Cassie of all people realizes that one way to do it is to kill as many taxons as possible. Um, So the Animorphs somewhat reluctantly organize a mission with the auxiliaries and the free Hork-Bajir to go to the new Yurkpool construction site and slaughter as many taxons as possible. Mm. While they are doing this, that mission basically goes off without a hitch with the one exception that Jake uh, Is captured by a sudden cave in and is taken deep underground and separated from the rest of the anamorphs it turns out he has been intentionally targeted by the taxons led by none other than arbron the andalite knothlet from the andalite chronicles who has miraculously survived his uh yes gray you are the queen of predictions
0: <laughs> i demand a crown and a sash please and thank you when
1: i was when i was talking just now gray did like a little queen wave I'm
0: sure she put on a crown
2: oh i and missed she... i missed the crown yeah, yeah. yeah she put on the <laughs>
1: crown and did the little royal wave um you could imagine it so arbron has somehow survived since the events of the andalite chronicles made it to earth and is lead- has been leading a splinter faction of taxons this entire time who they? Would I you think call them a taxon. No, I would not, but you would. <laughs> the taxons, I guess, have been or Arben has been trying to get the taxons to uh, break off from the Yerks, but the Yurks are providing the taxons with something that they need—a way to like control their terrible, terrible hunger. But now the Yerks have the ability to morph, and the Taxons see, hey, maybe there's another way out. Maybe we could leave these bodies behind. On top of that, Visser One is refusing to let any Taxons or Taxon controllers get the morphing power because he doesn't think Taxons are all that great.
2: Well, also, he may be he knows that their hunger is the only way to control them.
1: That's a great point. That's a great point. So, even though the Yerks have the morphing power now, the Taxon faction, the Taxon, <laughs> has realized that. The only way for the Taxons to leverage the morphing power would be if the Anamorphs win against the Yerkes. So Arbrin finally has reached out to Jake to say, look, we're willing to help. Let us know how we can help, but we need a promise. We need your word as the leader of the Anamorphs that once you win, you will somehow get us the morphing power. You might not get the morphing cube back from the Yerks, so we're going to need you to give assurances that the Andalites will be willing to part with morphing technology and let all of the taxons become nophlets, like supervised nophlets. When Jake gets Arboran's offer, he takes it back to the other Anamorphs, and he's almost giddy because for the first time he thinks they might be able to win. And he talks to the council and is basically, he fills them in on the taxon's offer. And he's like, okay, X, we're going to need, like, this is where you come in. We're going to need you to work with, work with the Andalites and promise this. And X is like, the Andalites are not going to go for that. And Jake's like, the taxons know it's a long shot. And Cassie is suddenly like, X, it's time to come clean. And X gives her kind of a weird look Um, So turns out Cassie had, after her heart to heart with Axe in the last book, followed him in Flea Morph to make sure that he wasn't actually going to betray the Animorphs. So she knows he's been contacting Andalite High Command. Axe finally comes clean to the group. They're real mad about it. But uh, this does allow them to finally get out into the open that, okay, Axe hasn't completely betrayed the group, right? He didn't tell the Andalites that the Yerks are now morph capable because if he had, the Andalites would have just blown up Earth. So they're realizing not only do they have to win the war against the Yerks, they have to do it in a way where the Andalites will not immediately swoop in and blow everybody up. Um, So there's a one solution to the taxons problem and to their quarantine earth problem, which is Axe saying, if we can get... To a more powerful communication device, such as one on the pool ship, we can broadcast not just to Andalite High Command and the military, but we can broadcast straight to the people on the Andalite homeworld and explain to them hey, we're stopping the Yerks in their tracks, and the Andalites owe Earth its survival and the Taxons the ability to morph. And that's going to be their gambit to get around. The Andalite military who are known, uh, as we learned in the Horkwajir Chronicles, and as comes up again in this book, for expedient genocide. Yeah. So all of that is again contingent on them being able to capture the pool ship. So Jake, uh, as part of his agreement with Arbron, goes to Arbron's taxons and shows them a vision of the future. He wants to show them a morph that they'll be at home in and cassie of course comes to the rescue by suggesting an anaconda which is big and taxony but very very calm and slothful totally different personality wise from the big old Texans. and jake and cassie actually have this quiet moment together in the gardens the ruined gardens in the snake house when uh, they're going to acquire it and they're really talking about all they've been through, the the betrayals. Jake kind of sees, you know, both the good and bad that have come from Cassie's decision. He's a little more willing to work with her. And he says, hey, you know, things are going to change so much. If we win, I think we should get married. And Cassie starts to cry. And she says... I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen after the war. I don't know, like, I think I'm going to be okay, but I don't know if you're going to be okay. Why don't we wait a year? Let's see, like, if you're still interested, let's see.
2: You know, till we're 17.
1: And, and, you know, they have that moment together, and then Jake goes off with his anaconda morph to the taxons. He shows them the anaconda and they're into it. Um, I'm
0: sorry. It sounds so phallic. I can't handle it. My anaconda don't want none unless you got funds, huh?
2: <laughs> I'm so glad the taxons are into Jake's anaconda.
3: Come on. The
1: Texans, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Have they just been a dick joke this entire time? <laughs> I, they're, I don't, they're so hungry. I don't, Unquench- so. Unquenchable hunger.
2: Okay, but they're also incredibly disgusting. So you know, like,
1: like that would
2: really that would really reflect something are, about
0: applegrats. Oh,
2: men are always dicks.
1: eating each other's penises with their own penises.
0: I mean, also like <laughs> it's, it's usually vagina sex, dentata, or... not phala dentata. So that's like phala dentata.
1: <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. <laughs> but that's like some. Isn't that like how duck penises work?
0: They're corkscrews. I don't know if they have oh, teeth. They don't have I teeth. think I think some cats? penises are barbed for yes. like the same
1: reason as the corkscrew thing.
0: Possibly cats. I think have barbed. I don't know. Definitely some penises out there are barbed, which is disgusting and horrifying. So maybe
2: Apple Grant researched like disturbing penises, got so traumatized that they created the taxons, and they've just been a dick joke the whole time. It's taxons a theory. Are great. <laughs>
1: I don't know how to get back into it.
2: So what you said was...
1: Jake shows everybody his anaconda. And the war ends.
3: <laughs> oh my god, that's sort of what happens in this book. <laughs>
1: um, it's not over. <laughs> this summary is I'm just going to say now, the summary's going to be unsatisfying.
3: <laughs> Nothing
1: gets wrapped up. Okay, so the Texans are like, yeah, I want to morph an anaconda too. And Arben is like, but wait, there's more. Come out, uh, come out and... Or first he's like, all right, your friends can demorph now. And Jake's like, oh, shucks, you got me, Arburn. I brought all the anamorphs. <laughs> and then Arburn's like, but wait till you meet my other friend. And here comes none other than Tom.
3: Tom! Head
1: of York Security Forces and a real, <laughs> a real piece of work.
3: <laughs> a, real um, anaconda, you know?
1: <laughs> a real anaconda, you uh, know? A real anaconda. So... Here is Tom's deal. Tom is basically part of a Yurk faction who is fed up with Visser 1, sees kind of like the writing on the wall here and is like, look, I don't really care if you blow up the Yurk pool and the Yurk empire, the Council of 13 and Visser 1, they're all set in their ways. They're into the being parasites. Now that we can morph, hey, I'm a Yurk that can morph into my own host and I'm still controlling my host. Isn't that so cool? We can, you know, take the morphing power and go off into the galaxy and be scourges of the galaxy, but morph capable. And so we want to leave the Yurk Empire behind and create our new morph-empowered, even eviler Yerk tiny empire. I don't know. He doesn't have a cool name for it. He we call it Yurk tiny empire. <laughs> so Tom basically says... If you give me 100 morph-capable Yerks in the blade ship, I will get you into the pool ship, give you the security codes. Like, I know you guys had a plan for that, but I'm going to make it easier. Um, So work with me, and I'll I'll make it even easier for you to end the war. So the Animorphs are very upset, but um, they realize they might be able to leverage this. They don't trust Tom that much but they think that if they can stay a few steps ahead of him they'll be able to use what he is offering to bring about the result that they want so jake doesn't trust tom and he figures out specifically the way in which he doesn't trust tom which is that tom didn't ask them for assurances in any way which means that tom is going to somehow assume the n are all going to end up dead jake thinks that he can use this to actually get one out get one over on tom Uh, But he's going to need the chi to do it. So Marco is able to reestablish contact with Eric. Jake tells Eric, hey, we're going to need you to help us get the pool ship and its weapon systems online. Eric is like, no, my programming won't allow me to do that. This is going to end up with, you know, you killing a bunch of people. So I'm not on board. Jenny's very frustrated. We'll talk about the We'll talk about the Chi thing for sure. But I'll just, I'll describe it as it happens and try not to editorialize. So Eric is basically like, Jake, I'm not going to help you do this. This is a bridge too far for me and my programming. You know this. Um, And Jake is like, well, guess what? Here is a captured controller, one Hendrick Chapman. And you're going to do what I say or I'm going to execute him. So you can either be responsible for directly causing me to kill somebody or doing this other stuff that I want you to do. And Eric is understandably really, really, really mad about this, but does go along with most of their plan. So Jake is also, as part of his plan, he's like, Axe, you need to get to your Andalite communicator device and... and tell the Andalites that the York pool was not destroyed and the Yurks are massing on Earth. Uh, Axe is like, you're asking me to lie. And Jake is like, no, I am telling you to lie. We need the Andalites here. Jake also gives secret orders to Rachel. Um, so the Animorphs are going along with Tom's plan. Eric disguises himself as Cassie, who gets beat up by Tom and quote unquote, captured, not realizing that he's beating up an android. And Everyone else is coming along with the plan in Bugmorph. And Tom brings the captured Cassie to Visser 1 and is, like, near the pool ship. And it's like, hey, I captured an Animorph finally. And Visser 1 is like, yay, okay, whatever. But, you know, they're wily. They're going to escape. They're going to, you know, what if there are bugs on them? You know, like, these Andalite bandits are wily. They're going to have to do something about it. And Tom's like, I thought of that. Watch as a taxon devours Cassie and all of the bug Animorphs on her. And Visser 1 is like, wow, that was easy. I wish I'd thought of that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Animorphs are one step ahead, Eric, of course, is not devoured by the taxon. The taxon is actually Tobias in Morph. A lot of the people around Visser 1 and Tom at this point are Toby and her free hork, Bajir. And so Tom and Visser 1... Think the anamorphs are dead they think that there's going to be this diversion where the human military attacks so the andalite bandits can infiltrate the pool ship viscer one thinks he's one step ahead so all he has to do is have the pool ship take off before the andalites can infiltrate um and in addition most of them are dead anyway so he does this tom and viscer one not knowing that the anamorphs are already on board the pool ship along with some of the freehork bajir In addition, as part of this negotiation, Tom is able to get the bladeship from Visser 1 to go and deal with the rogue taxons, which is all Tom wants. Because he'll be able to, with the blade ship, take the pool ship out of commission, fly away, and let the Andalites clean up everything else. So... The pool ship takes off with the Animorphs and the Freehork-Badir on board, and the human general makes his assault. In order to make the assault as formidable as possible, Jake has ordered the auxiliary Animorphs to join them on the front lines. And as the Animorphs are going about their plan to take over the pool ship engines and weapon systems, Visser One is like, hey, you know, now that we've taken off, these humans... These other anamorphs on the ground, they don't know what they're they're doing. Like, they don't have a plan anymore. We could just blow them up, like, with one big Dracon cannon shot. But you know what would be more fun? Why don't we fly a little closer and kill them one by one? So Visser 1 starts picking off the auxiliary anamorphs as Jake is kind of like watching helplessly, wishing desperately that um, Eric and the Animorphs are able to take over the pool ship systems with enough time to save the forces on the ground. Unfortunately, it appears that, you know, the engineering bay was a little far away. There were some difficulties. It turns out no matter how much you threaten Eric, his programming does not allow him to turn a weapon system online. So they they are able to get the engines working, but but nothing else. And Viser One is more or less able to kill all the auxiliary anamorphs he can see and most of the human forces on the ground. It doesn't. It seems like it wasn't a complete like slaughter. But I don't think he kills but... most of
2: the human. because I think he turns the wide beam dracon beam on the humans and is like in thirty seconds they'll all be dead. But then it gets turned off.
1: Oh, so I think most I thought the them... timing was ambiguous and that some of them died. But
2: some of them might die. I'm not sure. I
1: don't know. Anyway, unclear how many people died on the ground, but I think most of them died.
2: The auxiliaries seem to all have died. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Viscera 1 believes so. So having lost control of the engines, Viscera 1 realizes that somehow the Animorphs are on board and goes to engineering to fight them. But the Animorphs are one step ahead. And as Viscera 1 attacks the engineering bay, the Animorphs are running to the the bridge and running around the, the pool ship trying to figure out what to do. So the Animorphs are worried. Tom has the blade ship and Tom believing the Animorphs to be dead is just going to destroy or disable the pool ship, leave them helpless and fly away. Jake and the Animorphs obviously don't want Tom to get away. So because they do not have access to the weapons we have two shots with two shots we can maybe disable the blade ship engines but we're gonna need viscer one to fire the shots he's the one who currently has control of the weapon systems so they need some way to get viscer one back to the bridge and convince him that he wants to help them take out tom and the blade ship in order to do this they cause a ruckus running around the ship doesn't seem to be doing much to get the viscer's attention and they stumble across the pool in the pool ship, the onboard York pool. Axe notices the control bay includes a system for cleaning the pool, which involves flushing all of the sludge out of it.
0: Why do we even have that lever? <laughs> <laughs> well played.
1: And Jake realizes that this is something that the viscer will almost certainly notice, gives the order... To flush out over seventeen thousand Yurks into space, and goes to meet Visser One on the bridge. When he does that, Visser One is realizes he's been completely defeated. He realizes that Tom has betrayed him, and he's like, "Well, we can disable the engines, but we're not going to do a very good job because somebody, one of you Andalite bandits, has been." <laughs> taking power out of the weapon systems. Jake realizes that Eric must be diverting power from the weapon systems and tries to call him off, but no reply from Eric. Visser 1 tries to shoot the blade ship and fails. The blade ship disables the pool ship's engines, so they're basically sitting ducks. And then Tom appears on the communicator screen to gloat about his victory, but notices behind Visser 1 that Jake and the other Animorphs are alive and suddenly becomes pale and Jake gives Rachel the order to go, Rachel having stowed away on the blade ship ready for this contingency.
3: Ah, but what happens
2: next, Ted?
1: That's where the book Tell ends. what happens
2: next, Ted. How could you leave us with this cliffhanger? <clears throat>
1: Jake drops his pants and the war ends. <laughs>
2: Episode oh, five. man. Oof. Oof. There were so many things in this book. I don't even know where to start.
1: Let's start with Grey.
0: Grey. How are um, you doing, Grey? There were so many things in this book. I am still confused by some of the logic, and I'm gonna go ahead and put logic in quotation marks behind some decisions and some like assumptions that happen. Like, I don't know why Tom thinks that the Animorphs are dead unless he also thought they were the auxiliaries that the Visser shot? Like, there were a few things like that where I'm like, what are you talking about?
2: Oh, he thought they were all stowing away in Cassie and that they all got eaten by the taxon. Okay, but that's real dumb, right? Yeah, I'm not sure why he doesn't think that they, like, jumped off Cassie, but...
1: Tom looks good in comparison to Visser 1, but not
2: (laughs) not (laughs) in comparison to any
1: of the other characters. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure I hadn't, like... Still an
1: arrogant yerk. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the inner... One of the things that we should talk about is the inner yerk dynamics, because Mm, that... Um, one thing that Wait. that oh go ahead.
1: I just want how are you feeling about all this grace? Oh, so much God. stuff happens.
3: Yes,
0: I'm like I'm so overwhelmed by it that I'm focusing on these like little minor things okay. because <laughs> I'm like very overwhelmed by this ending. So much is happening so quickly and I am very I mean Rachel dies not in this book, but it's clear to me that it's going to be Rachel now, and that is very upsetting to me because I love her so much, and I loved her in this book in particular. Oh, like, I want to talk about how book. amazing she is and how much credit the other animals are not giving her, that they should like, yeah. be. Um, and I'm... So, like, that is breaking my heart. The Cassie dynamic... I mean, like, all of the relationship stuff is so important and so big, but also... I've been saying for the last, like, I don't know how many books that I don't know how they're going to end it. And, like, we are one book away, and I'm still not quite sure how this is going to go. But now <laughs> there's, like, a plan and 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 pieces that are fitting together. At one point, Jake says, like, I see the picture so clearly now. Like, this is what we can do. Yeah. And and that was a really amazing moment for Jake, but also for these books in general. It's, like, I, I feel like I'm so happy that this is Apple Grant again, and it's clear that they yes. were, like... We know what happens. What happens is all these things that we've kind of been foretelling, weirdly, for this whole series, they're all coming together. And it's, you know, the Hork-Bajir, but also like, hey, remember that guy we left behind on the Taxon planet like 50 yeah! books ago? He's back! Um, which was very surprising. And also, you guys, I was so pleased. Um <laughs> But like, yeah, it's just, it's so much. And I, I can't wait to read the next book. Like, I really want to know what happens. I, it's always it's, it really hard to stop reading at the end of this one.
3: I know. This is why
0: we thought we shouldn't have a week between recording sessions. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. But it's, I don't know, it's like, it's heartbreaking and, and exciting. And God, these books are so good.
2: Yeah, this felt like an Animorphs book again, and I yeah. hadn't realized until I was reading this. Like, oh yeah, okay, it wasn't just that the series was ending, although that is very upsetting to me. It was that like we'd sort of lost the heart, like mm-hmm. it's back. It like Apple Grant. Like there are some good ghostwriters. There's definitely some good writing even in the books that like I think are not good ghostwritten books. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same. Yeah, like you can tell that this one is just so much better. Yeah.
1: One of the things, I mean, we should have a whole section about why having Apple Grant back is the best. Yeah. But like, just in hearing you say that, I feel like one of the things that they're really good at doing is presenting how Jake feels without editorializing it. I feel Yay. like a lot of times, and this is not just like a go- Animorphs Ghost Rider thing, but I feel like in a lot of okay middle grade or young adult books, you get a lot of like, this is how I'm feeling and this is why. And like, mm-hmm. I'm going to like, like really th- like think about mm-hmm. all this stuff. But like Jake is like, he's contradictory. He's feeling afraid. He's feeling nervous. But like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really dwell on that. It's just like just enough to, to make Jake feel like a real person as mm-hmm. he's going through all of these like tough decisions. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's also like, I think a function of time. Like they don't have, there's too much going on for them to spend the time to be like, here's what I'm feeling and why. So they have to show, not tell, because Mm. they don't have the space to tell. Mm -hmm, It's one of mm -hmm. those things like, you know, I'm sorry this letter was so long, I didn't have time to make it shorter. It's one of those (laughs) things. Like, because they're such good writers and they know these characters so well, they really have this amazing ability to show a lot in a very small amount of of time or a small amount of words. And I think, like, the Rachel stuff was like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, all of the characters
2: felt really real in a way that they haven't felt in a long time. Yeah. Which makes sense. The people writing them didn't know them as well. They hadn't created them. They didn't have the license to Mm -hmm. make them, or, or the, like, the skill. I don't know. They didn't have the context or something to, like, add new things to them while still making them feel like themselves. Like... Mm Because it's not like there there was nothing new added to the characters in the last 20 books. It's just that like a lot of it didn't quite gel, didn't quite feel real. I don't know. Right. And so many of the things like this book was not perfect in terms of like logic and like things adding up, but like it was so much better than so many of the things we've seen lately. Mm -hmm. Like I have a few rants, but like for the most part, like this book was, this book made sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was confused by some of it, but I was confused (laughs) in a way where I was like, I am not understanding this, but clearly there is internal consistency Mm. in a way that I feel like sometimes is not the case. Sometimes it's I'm confused because this is confusing. And this was more of a like, (laughs) I'm not great at military tactics, so I'm not quite understanding what's happening here. But actually I can tell that like Jake knows what's going on and Uh I can trust him and the books to make it all hang together. Yeah. This book felt trustworthy. That's exactly
3: it.
1: Yeah. You're just. Yeah. No, I mean, it's. Mm. Apple grain are great. Yeah. Do we, should I, should we keep talking about why they're great? Let's keep talking
3: about why they're great. Okay. I
1: actually do have a whole section of my notes about this. Nice. Okay, one, we've complained about how, like, ghostwritten Animorphs books are not as much about the animals anymore. Mm-hmm. The animals are back in such a big way in this yeah. book, right? So, like, in a lot of different ways. I feel like being animals, we get, like, fun animal facts and, like, what it's like to be animals, mm-hmm. with, like, bug vision and bat senses and, like, oh,
3: yeah. all, these all these different- yeah, we stuff about bat senses. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah, so
1: it's just, like, clearly Catherine Applegate loves animals. Like, that just, that comes through and she, she can't even help it, right? There's a great morphing description of the dragonfly where Jake, Ugh. his like eyes like are like marshmallows that bulge yeah. out like when as they're cooking like that was amazing. Um, at one point so <laughs> they drop in the simile, taxons are hungry as shrews. <laughs> Not as a callback to book two, but just like of course everybody thinks of shrews as exceptionally hungry. Like that's an sure. animal fact that everyone knows and is a relatable analogy, right? Like, everything about it is so, so good. And, and mm-hmm. the way that they pick clever morphs, right? Like, when they're attacking yes. the Texans... Mark was a cheetah and Rachel's an elephant, which is like, I sort of feel like the lazy option would be make them gorilla grizzly like you always Mm -hmm. do. But it's like, actually, cheetahs can go really fast and all you have to do is hit one with a claw and then, you know, the taxons turn on each other. Like all these little animal details were so, so good.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's great. I mean, I really loved the animal things and I think you're right that it was, you know, I I had, I had my notes like, oh good, another disgusting morph. But like, yeah, because that's how these things work. But the analogy she used was like spot on mm-hmm. and the animal stuff was great. I, had, I hadn't I had really thought about it, but there is that whole sequence of describing how bats fly and how yeah. laborious it is and then also like how their vision works. But it was just a really wonderful – I mean, it's a callback to like when they morphed into bats, but it's also just a great reminder of like, oh, yeah, I had – I know about the bat vision, but like, I didn't think about the fact that like bats use muscles to fly and birds use thermals, like mostly kind of. (laughs) And like, that's how she describes it. It was really interesting. And it was like, oh yeah, I learned a thing from these books as well as being traumatized by their description of war. So that's nice.
2: And it's especially impressive because like you were saying, great. It's there's, there's so much in this book. They have to be so efficient. And part of that efficiency is like includes talking about these animal facts. Like, it's not like they have yeah. 500 pages to fill. I don't know. Let's talk about bats. It's just like, this is what adds to like the intense vividness of the books for, mm, for them. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I think that's what I mean about yeah, the emotions too. Right. Yeah. It's just like the one that's jumping to mind mm-hmm. is that, cause like, I guess a lot of it, in the ghost-written books, I feel like the emotions are like, I'm doing theme, 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 right? Like, mm-hmm. but in this book, mm-hmm. like, there was the moment when fighting the Taxons, Jake's, or no, he fighting Hork Bajir, Jake's spine gets severed, and he's like, I'm about to die, I need Ugh. to demorph, I need to demorph. And like, it's like this really awful moment, but then he kind of like almost disassociates a little bit it's kind of like he's dying and then finally marco comes over to him and is like hey buddy demorph demorph now and (laughs) and jake's like demorph oh okay and it's like a really good like (laughs) Mm -hmm. emotional moment that just lasts for like two paragraphs and isn't connected to any of the themes but it's like such a good detail that like takes you into who jake is right he's mostly like a a general who's about to lose it in this book, but you have this one moment of like, I'm a yeah, dying he's soldier. Yeah. For that. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And and I think that's a really good example too of how they describe the relationships because it's not mm. like a narrative description of like Marco is Jake's best friend and he uses humor <laughs> as a cover. It's like actually showing hey, Marco has an ability, even in the middle of a battle, to recognize the thing that needs to happen next is Jake has to demorph. And it takes that moment to go to his best friend and be like, buddy, you're dying. Could you demorph now, please? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um,
3: yeah. And there's a
0: lot of those moments in the text where it's the interactions between the characters that really demonstrate the depth of their feeling for one another and not just a narrative description of it. Yeah. I also want to go back to
2: something you just said, Ted, about it not necessarily... All, all the emotions don't have to serve a theme, mm. which I do think I hadn't quite realized we'd started to see really strongly in the ghost-written Animorphs books makes sense. And I think maybe that's why I was reacting to these characters seeming much realer. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying in one of the earlier books... That, like, one of the things I love about these books is that they're so efficient, they're so brief, but there's always more than one thing going on. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe this book is about, oh, Marco's issues with his mom, but it's also about his issues with fear, and those things don't necessarily have to connect. They can be multiple things happening with the same person. Right. And I think we lost that a little bit.
1: It makes me think of the the Lauren Tobias book, where it's like his feelings are reduced to, like, this new mom problem instead of being, like... In like the first four Tobias books, it just runs the gamut of all these different...
2: Right, yeah. The rich emotional lives of these characters were a little bit reduced. Or if there was something that didn't fit the theme, it was like, what's that doing there? Whereas this book really manages to pull off having this complex character where there is an overarching theme, but also Mm -hmm. all these other emotions because there's a ton going on. And of course, his emotions are all over the place and it feels really real.
1: So I have a couple of little things. When they describe the horcadier in the beginning... They don't call the Horkpajir stupid.
3: Hey. No, they don't.
1: They refer to Toby as an intellectual, but this feels like the people who wrote the Horkpajir Chronicles yep. instead of like whatever the one paragraph description of the Horkpajir was that all the ghostwriters used. Yeah. Yep. So I really appreciated that detail. I also really like the word frowsy. I feel like oh, it's been a while yeah. since the Animorphs has used a really good word that I don't, I don't really know the word frowsy. I had to like, it made sense in context,
3: but I had yeah. to look up what it meant. They right? have a
0: few other areas. They use the word endemic to talk about like yeah, animals yeah. that are native to earth. There was another one that I highlighted, but the, yeah, like very good vocabulary.
1: And then the, you mentioned this, but like the plotting is just like really solid. And mm-hmm. the way this came through to me was like, not only was the plotting solid, but there were so many amazing set pieces in this book, Ooh. right? You get the pool ship on the like blasted yeah. earth. You get the cool military cave, right? You get the, uh-huh. the terrorist taxon construction site. You get mm-hmm. the VW Beetle in a parking lot that goes down a shoot into the like taxon, yeah. you know, like. The Arborn's taxon cave world. Yeah. yeah, like there are like so many cool, really cool set pieces that are all like strung along. Mm-hmm. And again, vividly described and you just move through them in one chapter. But mm-hmm, it like mm-hmm. it really fills out the book in a way that I loved. The yeah. Snake House, right? Like all these great places...
2: Yeah, it felt like there was more book in this book than there have been in the yeah. last like books. Yes, and there exactly.
1: and there were only it was a little bit longer, right? right but but, but it like wasn't maybe like Five to ten percent right? longer. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, fifty percent longer. The last thing I wanted to highlight is that Apple Grant knows how to do their flavor of middle grade violence better than anybody else. Ooh, because yes. this book was so so disturbingly violent in a lot of like in animals versus aliens getting like killed and beaten up a lot
3: mm-hmm. but like
1: describing the taxons attacking and killing and eating each other the bit where like even though it is eric and cassie's form like
3: oh, the God. the Ugh. way
1: that tom beats up cassie and then has her devoured by a taxon <sighs> is like absolutely and horrifying
3: i didn't to read know about. it
2: wasn't cassie at first yeah like yeah i was relieved to yeah. find out but they describe this this girl who's been beaten up, yeah, by this like older
0: guy. Her and... like eye is swollen shut, and like oh, it was like very visceral.
2: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, Apple Grant is wonderful, and I'm so glad they're back. Yeah, like,
0: wonderful and brutal. Yeah, I don't think anyone could end these this series the way that they did. I mean, there's just there's just no way.
1: They really have a unique voice, right? It's like,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah,
1: I think, you, sort of like what you were saying, I didn't realize how much we'd lost
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, over I, the
1: past 20 books.
2: It really makes me mourn the ending of the series we might have gotten if it hadn't been for Everworld, for whatever other mm-hmm. commitments made Apple Grant need to turn to ghostwriters, like their own burned mm-hmm. outness. I don't know, it just, it could have been... Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a lot here that's great, and I love this book. I wish we had been able to see yeah. the last 10 or 20 books leading up to this, written by
3: Apple Grant. Mm-hmm.
1: On the other hand, it is such a good... The other option was Animorphs is cancelled, right? Like,
3: that, like... Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> their decision to wind it down over the course of 10 books, it didn't. It wasn't ideal, and we got some of the worst Animorphs books in that final 10. But like, mm-hmm. well, we haven't read the last book yet, but in my opinion, they stick the landing. Yeah.
3: Well...
2: I I would have been sad to lose anything like before 33 or like 33 and earlier, but I kind of wish they had, they had started wrapping it up at that point. Mm
3: -hmm. I think Mm
2: -hmm. a lot of the books were filler, but a lot of it was like filler in a way that like kind of diluted things a little bit. Like the strong Mm -hmm. points of Animorphs are still there, but I, I'm not sure that 34 through 52 added enough to justify, to make up for what it took away. I don't know.
1: I disagree, but mostly because of the Apple Grant contributions. Because, <laughs> 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 like, Visser and Megamorphs 4 oh, are fantastic. Yeah, the Elmest yeah. Chronicles you could do without, but I, I personally like it.
2: I right, well, we roll those into, like, the 10 books yeah, that they yeah, write yeah. after 30. I
1: also think you do need, <laughs> I mean... I really like the kind of meta point of the Animorphs are stuck in this like series of ghost written books and are slowly mm-hmm. getting ground down. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, mm-hmm. because it just keeps, it just keeps happening and it goes on forever. Right. It would have been mm-hmm. interesting to see That's Apple true. Grant trying yeah. to handle that. But I do wonder, cause the stuff that we see in Megamorphs Four is like that battle at the beginning. There is like so bad. I wonder if I guess what I wonder is like if from thirty three you had had like a seven book plummet into grim darkness. If you actually you actually would have liked that versus the like oh you get some more fun one like there are more yeah, fun ones yeah. towards the rest of the series right because it seems like their tastes and, were like like they came up with David stuff which is like as dark as it gets. That's like, true. I mean I guess they did Helmacrons right. <laughs> but it seems like they, like when they take control, it gets a lot darker, right? Anyway, mm. great.
0: No, I, I, I really like that point, but I want to challenge us to come back to book 53. Yeah, I think that's And a save good
3: call.
0: those comments for after I get to read the next book, because I really want to know what, what happens. Happened. Yeah. And Sorry, I feel Gray. like I cannot contribute until I have read it. Can we talk about how we know Jake's Let's do last that. name now? <laughs> yeah. One of the other answers we get is Jake's last name.
2: <laughs> yeah. Also, what a last name. Can I, I don't know, Gray, if you have given any thought to the specifics of this last name yet, but so Jake's last name is Berenson, we learn in this book. It's kind of, it's, it's been very difficult for, to keep you from just knowing that because it's in fandom very much. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Gray, if you had seen it before this, but Mm-mm. you know, he's, yeah. Unspoiled. Nice. Nice. And we know, we know that Catherine Applegate is a Lord of the Rings fan. She has made multiple references to Lord of the Rings throughout this series. I do not think it is a stretch to say that Berenson is a direct reference to the character Baron, who's a major player in the Silmarillion. Oh. Yeah. So the story of Luthien and Baron is like sort of the centerpiece of of the Silmarillion in some ways. It's one of the God, stories I've gone into since it I read that fucking in book. the most depth. Baron is really awesome. He is a human who falls in love with this elf maiden, and he ends up stealing—he ends up stealing one of the like most valuable artifacts from like the dark lord, basically, of this world. So he's a human in this world where humans are really the weakest ones. There are elves, there are dwarves, there are like these higher powers, and they are all kind of at war. Like the the elves are at war with each other. With with the higher powers like all of this stuff and you have these humans who like live such a brief time like how can they contribute but then some of them really rise to the occasion and baron goes up against like basically sauron's boss basically and all of these higher powers in in collaboration with with this with luthien i don't want to cut her out not give her credit but i i have no doubt that apple grant intended jake to be in this role of like this person who could be seen as starting from a place of weakness. He's a child. He's, you know, a human in this galaxy where humans don't have a lot of firepower and don't really know what's going on. And he, you know, goes into the lair of or One and takes what he wants. And he is able to play this game of these higher powers and mm. stronger species. And and I love, I love, I love this reference.
0: That is such a good point that I had not thought of and I love it.
1: Me too. I knew it was a reference, but I don't know the story of Luke and Bear, so I- <laughs> I loved hearing that
0: i haven't actually
2: read it in a while i was like i should read it last night but of course i didn't but i i don't think it's so much about the specifics of their romance and the story though if people know more like direct parallels i would love to hear it i
1: I actually can i just read a little bit from that the chapter because what i what i love about it is the like the nonchalance with which all this is delivered yeah just like absolutely hammers home that it's it's ending right Uh so this is the beginning of chapter two My name is Jake. My name is Jake Berenson. Ah. The days of secrecy, of lurking in the shadows are over. The Yurks know my name. They know my height, weight, eye color, social security number, and favorite foods. At long last, they know the word Animorph, Marco's word for us. My brother Tom is one of them, a human controller. He has been for a long time. He's been elevated to security chief for all Yerk forces on Earth. My parents, my mom and dad are controllers now, too. Host bodies for Yurks. They know it all now, the Yerks do. All our names, all our deeds. I've fought them for more than three years. I was just 13 when I started. I'm 16 now, though that fact, like so many facts, has been deliberately obscured in the secret accounts we've kept. I'm a 16-year-old kid named Jake Berenson, and I am the leader of the Animorphs.
2: Ah! So great. I think we have been clearer with you than the series was with us about like how old they were when it started, like how much time has gone by, how old they are now. Like we definitely like every time you had questions about it, had this in our minds. Like this is one of the very few things I remember from this book that, oh, they were 13 when it started. They're 16 now.
0: Yeah. That has been actually very helpful for me, but it was also nice to get the like, uh, we actually do know this stuff. Like they're not just, (laughs) they're not just making it up. Yeah. Or not making it up. But I was like, you know, if you've read these books 20 times then probably you got that like one moment where they said yeah you know that it was they were 13 that I totally missed and it's like no they actually just wrote it out great fantastic same thing with Jake being tall it's like oh Jenny wasn't making it up
2: (laughs) oh no I didn't remember his height from this book that was very genuine that that was Jenny making
0: it up great
2: I have a question about this, though. How do the Yurks know all of these details? Like, I can see them knowing everything about Jake because Tom is there. But how do they know the word anamorph? How do they know the identity of the other anamorphs? Like, when did that information transfer happen?
1: I don't know, but it does lead to this amazing moment when Visser 1 says, oh, this one is Cassie, right? right. And I'm like, ah, yeah. he knows
3: their names.
0: Yeah. That was really so creepy. I mean, the whole this or 3 interaction at the end, it was so good, in part because it was so classic villain in mm. so many ways. I mean, there's the like, wait, I'm actually gonna find the line. I'm sorry, I have to find it because it was like, I loved it so much that it it made me laugh a lot. I lived to see at least one of them die. That was very satisfying. Now go, my good and faithful servant. I was Ooh. like <laughs> First of all, what are you talking In this book, Visser 3 quotes the Bible, and the Trojan horse. And none of that made any sense to me. Like, what are you talking about? You don't know those references. But, like, so good. We, but also, we, know, he, that, like,
1: we know that Esplan has a big, like, set of torture devices on his ship, right? Do you think the yeah, Trojan yes. horse counts as, like, human, innovative, military thing that he would like to be interested in? May,
0: probably.
2: That
1: they would be interested in?
0: But, like, what? Yeah, no, they, they were great. And also there was the whole... So then, so he, he says that. He has this whole, like... I want to see them burn so instead of doing the sensible thing and like wiping out as many people as possible he like targets the animals he thinks are animorphs like individually which is such a classic stupid villain move and Mm -hmm. then there's like this whole thing where he's he's kind of like taunting them with his plan and then when that goes to shit he can't take responsibility for it so he's like you guys could never have done this to me it is only from a yerk from within (laughs) a traitor is the only way you could have taken me down I'm still a great villain and I was like you are the best bad villain you're so dumb and I love it (laughs)
2: I loved the part where when he's talking to Tom. Tom's like, "Yeah, I uncovered this conspiracy and this conspiracy and this conspiracy, and they're they're all real. Like Tom is actually betraying the Animorphs right there." Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna need the Blade Ship to take it out, but here you can you can kill this this girl. You know, I think all the Andalite or the, all the Animorphs are on her. You know, and uh, and Jake's like, will the visser buy it?'" And he says something in the narration. He's like, "Yeah, this one's not great at strategy, but he has a great instinct for survival." Yeah. He's like, yeah. That makes perfect sense because he's he's been so incompetent at all of these like larger plans like he keeps concocting these ridiculous plans that like the end find out and they're like, wow, this wouldn't have worked anyway, but all right, we'll destroy this like he's just so incompetent in that realm. And yet, he has risen to be the highest-ranked mm-hmm. York general, and he has been remarkably successful for how incompetent he is. And I think it is that weird mix of, like, I mean, some of it's like the books need him to be that way, but, like, it makes sense, like, that he has really good instincts for making it through the next situation.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he fails up in a lot of ways, yeah. but he also <laughs> has this great moment where he's like, this is too easy. I never have right. good luck there's no way that this all worked out and he's right on i mean tom so right. was still able to trick yeah. him but he is completely correct he does not have good enough luck for this all to work and i thought and i think that was just a really good example of like yeah he has great instincts and a great instinct for self-preservation he's just not great at the whole like leadership thing and that's actually what what is his downfall like Tom, the reason Tom's Yerk yeah. is rebelling against Visser 1 is because Visser 1 is so incompetent that he is unwilling and unable to share power and so the Yerks yeah. beneath him do not get promoted and so the only way for Tom's Yerk to to get promoted and to you know show their own strength is to wipe out Visser 1 and leave that power vacuum at the top that they can kind of move into. And it's, I, I, my note there was just like viscer threes, viscer ones, bad management skills strike again like he yeah. that
1: yeah, is his just, problem that was that was my big takeaway was that they're really bad like esplin's really bad leadership style ends up mattering yeah. not just with tom but with the taxons too right like that's maybe mm. more like a Yerkes don't trust taxons thing but it is still like this or one's call to not give any of the taxon controllers the morphing ability right and so like mm, that mm-hmm. sort of like Authoritarianish grip on power, mm. like terrorizing your underlings, thing that we have poked fun at and seen throughout the series. The fact that it matters so much to the victory at the end is really satisfying. It's so
2: great to see that come home to roost because we've definitely. It's not like there haven't been any effects of it before because, like, we've said lots of times, like, oh, okay, and they're not telling Visser three at the time because you know they know he'll just kill them, and this is really undermining.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The Yurik's ability to function well and ah oh, yes, yeah, so good to see it pay off in this really big way.
1: The other the other thing about it though that struck me, and I think I like this, but it was it's a little more mixed, is like Esplan doesn't have any agency in the end. He does mm. he or they do have the ability to have that moment of, like, villainous boasting of, like, only a year could destroy me. Yeah. But basically, they exist as, like, a prop for Tom and Jake to manipulate around because they're Mm. so predictable, right? Like, Viscera 1 is always going to do what Viscera 1 does. And, like, Mm -hmm. everyone is thinking three steps ahead of Asplen the entire time. And like Esplin has no ability to like really make a choice. So like, it's really satisfying to see Hmm. their previous choices and leadership style come home to roost. But in this situation, it's just like Esplin is being so outplayed every step of the way. I think it's mostly satisfying, but it's interesting to see that it's like, it's not the super Rachel versus, monster morph like finally the animorphs are stronger and more powerful Mm, and we've beaten you into submission it's just like you've lost the chess game right like you're 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 five steps away from checkmate and there's nothing you can do now right like that's that's what that feeling is
2: he doesn't morph at that point because i don't know like esplan has always kind of seemed like a character who like okay you're losing the chess game you throw it across the board Mm. you're losing the chess game like you throw the board across the room like that's 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 him, uh, and I am surprised. Like I know why that happens. Why he doesn't morph at the end yeah. to try to just kill the animals yeah. that are there? Maybe there was a reason in the text. I don't
3: remember.
1: I mean, I, I don't Is think it's, it's in not the text. in this book. Okay, just, then, no, no, no. Yes. I just I have a theory about it. When they find when they find Esplin on the bridge, they're looking at 17,000 dead yerks in space. Mm,
3: mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's like actually a, a bit of humanizing
3: uh-huh,
1: for Esplan. Yeah, uh-huh. right? Like like yeah. that. And
2: instead of spurring Esplan towards like further violence, it just it's like be... the,
1: there is no survival because the Council of Thirteen. Oh. Right. Like this is this is utter failure hmm Right? Mm-hmm. It, already lost. There's no, there's no way out. Yeah. yeah.
2: That actually, you know...
1: I think that's the reason me, why they give yeah. up and don't morph.
3: Yeah.
2: That makes me feel a tiny little bit better about what Jake does to those years. Because I was
0: kind of like, what was the point? Well, like, we'll t- yeah, yeah,
3: we'll we talk should, about yeah, that a lot. Yeah, we should talk more. about
0: that. But no, I like that. I, I like that because I I know that there's... I don't remember what movie this is. I feel like it's a Star Wars movie or something. But I feel like I have an image in my head of like a general seeing his, all of his people having just been slaughtered and like sadly turning away from that disaster and Mm -hmm. recognizing that it's over. And I just, it's, it's like a really cinematic moment. And also Mm -hmm. it made sense to me that Esplin would kind of think to themselves, yeah, it's, this is the end of the road Mm -hmm. and I can continue to fight because I hate these people, but I no longer have an end goal. Like that move really destroyed any ability the Yurks have to complete this mission of taking over Earth. They don't have the Yurks anymore. Yeah. You know, they may have a few, but they really don't have many. And so I think it it makes sense to me that that is a moment of essentially defeat for the, the greater Yurk cause. And his sadness about that is like, okay, so now I can fight you guys for like, Dumb things, but like, let's not pretend I'm gonna win this. I don't know. Yeah,
2: I guess, yeah, I. I think the part of me that just like really thinks very poorly of Visser One wants to think that like it was more about oh no the Council of Thirteen is gonna kill me there's no hope of victory rather than oh no all these people I was fighting for are dead. Mm-hmm. Mm. Maybe there was a little bit of the second one in there too. But I keep I keep thinking of um, I think you probably haven't read this Ted. Did you read The Magician's Nephew?
1: I have yeah. read it. But oh okay. I don't remember much about it.
2: There's sort of a, a backstory thing. The like evil queen they meet in that one. I'm mm. sure you have read this, Greg. She like tells the story of how she was fighting for the throne and like her all her armies were dead were dead and it was all over and so what she does instead of being like well now i've lost is she speaks the one word that will kill all things on earth or on the planet and i'm surprised that viscer one didn't go for that kind of gambit like oh you defeat me okay well i'm going if i'm going down i'm taking you with me it was mm. a surprisingly calm response
3: mm-hmm.
2: well, which is not to say it was necessarily uncharacteristic just not what i would have expected.
1: The other piece of it, right, is that Tom out Esplin's Esplin, Ooh. right? It's Ooh, like loves- it's like part of their leadership strategy has been promoting hotheads like Taylor and Tom and then, like, getting them killed. Mm-hmm. Like It's like this mm-hmm. cycle of mm-hmm. underlings. Mm-hmm. And finally somebody, like, Tom is now the Esplin who's like, hey, I've got your blade ship. I've got your <laughs> morphing cube. I'm going to blow you up and get out of here, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's also, it's not, I think... It is a little bit sort of, like, boastful and, like, oh, only a yurt could defeat me. But I think it also is, like, Essendon's probably taking it super personally, uh-huh. right? It's like, oh, crap. Like, yeah. one of my underlings actually just beat me the at my own game. been cut
3: out from Right, my right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good point. All four
1: legs. Um, yeah, and one of the things that I absolutely love in this book, and that I wish we got a little more from in the series, is the sort of, like, pluralism of actors besides the animorphs who have things that they want mm, yeah. and the animorphs mm-hmm. have to do like negotiating problem solving in addition to just like fighting problem solving right so like you get not just Arburn's taxon group but also tom's Yurk group it's 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 like yeah. and it's like it's this is like um it's one of the best kind of like tropes or most satisfying tropes to me is kind of like the you know third party that isn't really on the side of the good guys or the bad guys and Mm. figuring out how that all works out
2: yeah the complexity of like okay there are a lot of players they all want different things it's not just the good guys versus the bad guys this is
1: part of why toby and the freehawk wajir are so compelling when they get introduced earlier in the series because they don't Mm -hmm. exactly want what the Animorphs want right And so we
2: always we had said things like we wished that 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 had been dug into a little bit more like maybe you know Toby's interests are actually counter to Jake and the Animorphs and it got a little bit in 23 but that hasn't been delved into as deeply as it could have been.
1: And I think like I'm not sure I think we could have a big conversation about Cassie's choice either now or in the next book or whenever right but the thing that I want to highlight here is that Cassie even calls attention to it is like her stupid decision leads to like both, hey, taxons want to stop being taxons and help the animorphs, but also, Yurks want to be even more evil Yurks and help the Animorphs. And it's kind of like this great, like her decision cuts both ways, right? Uh-huh. As like and in particular, this was the foreshadowing that I see in book 50 that I wish had been that needle had been threaded better because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. just that Cassie sees a random anonymous Corpjeger controller save Jake's life. It's that she sees Tom get the morphing Cube power and turn away from Visor One, ah, right? Yeah. So like that seed finally comes back here, but like and it was clearly that it was it's so obviously foreshadowing this moment but like we only get this like tom faction thing introduced right at the end and i kind of wish it had played out like it's really satisfying as a surprise but i kind of wish it had been Mm -hmm. we could have played out the complexity of those third party groups like a little bit a little bit more Mm -hmm.
0: i really like that point i want to talk more about cassie's decision making and how it comes back here but I, i really like the idea of these new groups that have their own motivations that are at times at odds with the Animorphs, because the way that Jake deals with that is, I think, a really important part of his character development in this book,
3: mm-hmm. where
0: he kind of recognizes that, like the exchange where he realizes if he lets Tom's Yerk get away with the blade ship, he's essentially allowing another warlord to wreak havoc on planets across the universe. Yeah, And is he going to be okay with that? if it allows him to win the fight on earth and it's a whole like emotional scene between him and like cassie realizes that too and they have to talk about it but it's also there's a really really great line about the way that i mean this is sort of the, the 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 not the whole plot of the book but I think a big theme throughout this book and throughout the series as a whole is as we've talked about how bad war is like war is hell. Mm -hmm. And what he says is you don't get a lot of straight up good or evil choices. You get shades of gray and here's what we have to do. And it's because he recognizes the agency of these other groups and how okay, they're not quite as bad as this or three, and we may be able to save Earth, but that doesn't mean they're not bad from an objective perspective, but we don't have the option to, like, deal with that. Um, It was so good.
2: It's really, he's really getting to the point of, like, grappling with we're down to the wire what what like tools do i have in my hands i can't i don't have mm-hmm. enough tools to afford to be able to like listen to these ideals or whatever that you know he has some
1: he, he says it's simply too late for soul searching.
3: Oh.
2: <sighs> yeah, he has some passage about like you know we always tried to fight in a way that like you know held to certain principles and we just can't do that anymore. I think that's before mm-hmm the scene relatively early in the book where they go into actually just kill taxons. Like they're yeah. not like, they're not fighting through taxons to get to something else. Their, their specific goal is we have to kill taxons,
0: kill as many taxons as possible.
2: Yeah. And that's such a shift for them. And he, he feels, it's like, he feels everything closing in on him and he doesn't have enough avenues to choose the avenues mm-hmm. that are morally yeah. comfortable. Yeah.
1: Well, All it's... right. Is it time to, Oh, go ahead. No, Great. Go ahead. I just say, is it time to talk about Jake?
0: Let's talk about Jake. Let's talk about Jake.
1: Because Jake's arc in this book is beautiful. It's so well written. It pays off on so many things from earlier in the series. Some of our commenters, and I think a lot of Animorphs fandom, will cite Jake as their favorite character. And I feel like he's the star of the show here. And I love everything, (laughs) everything that is happening to him. And it's like, I'm super excited to like revisit the invasion and think about who Jake was and who he is now and talk about all this. But like the delivery on who jake's character is throughout the series in this book is just like it's so rich and exciting Mm -hmm. and i like i really want to talk about every little piece of it let's talk about
0: every little piece of it yeah i mean it's rich and exciting and devastating
1: and devastating yes oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: it's
1: a it's a tragedy it's a tragedy of who like i mean we'll talk about it um
0: it's very good but it's just
1: So I actually I want to start with the thing that is I think the worst about it, which is that Jake in 52 is so different from Jake and 53. And I think that that is a problem of ghostwriting, but I do Mm -hmm. want to try and reconcile it. So do you guys did you guys feel that as well?
2: Certainly in his relationship with Cassie, like, yeah. he has this, in 52, he has this very quick, like, oh, I, I was ignoring you, but you you said it was all a mistake, and so, yes, I trust you more than anything, more than I trust myself, like, great, this is great. And then in this book, like, they walked that back big time. But
3: which,
1: then he kind of does the same thing again.
2: Yeah, but it, it yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, he weird. can't, yeah. I think... He does He does do it again in a way that I found more believable because it, we just didn't get any explanation of the one in 52. It felt very abrupt. And um, and yeah, I'm inclined to
3: mm-hmm.
2: blame ghostwriting and not enough time for editing and all that stuff for that. I don't really have a... I don't know what, that I have a strong contrasting impression of him
0: from 52. I don't know.
1: Well, what did you think, Gray? I
0: don't know that... Um, I have a strong contrasting impression of him in this book versus him in the last... Few books, not Mm -hmm. specifically 52. But one of the things, well, because we've talked about several of the last few books have been, we've said they're like basically Jake books, but with a different narrator, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of about Jake's decision making. And one of the um, analogies that we brought up was Jake being like Harry Potter in one of the later Harry Potter books, where he's (laughs) just kind of whiny about stuff. Specifically
2: Order of the Phoenix. Order of the
0: Phoenix, thank you. I couldn't remember which one we said. Um, where he's just kind of whiny. And and for good reasons, I'm not trying to minimize the pain that he's going through, but also, yeah. like, please calm down and stop being such a jerk about stuff. Mm-hmm. And so in this book, maybe because we're getting more of his internality, but I think it's really a matter of ghostwriting versus Apple Grant, having a better sense of him. What we get instead is... A much calmer presence, a much more mature presence, and much better relationship and decision making processes mm-hmm. than he has had in the last few books. And some of that is evident in the way that he, as you mentioned in the way that he treats Cassie. But some of it's just his approach to, for example, like war councils. you know, and and what we've seen in the past is like he has to be bullied into having them. Someone else has to force him to make decisions. You know, he's not really stepping into his role. And I guess like he kind of came into that in 52. But in this book, you see him being like, we need a war council. We need it now. I will accept all of your opinions. I will take them into account. This is a lot of people who have a lot of different perspectives. Thank you for sharing. Get out. And now we're going to have a real war council with the people I actually care about their opinions and now we're going to make decisions like it was a really it was just it was so good and it was so clear that he had been learning since the first book but it was a weird disconnect from the last few books yeah i can see that
1: yeah for me the biggest dissonance is his defeat the yurks don't become them Mantra Ooh, that's from Fifty
0: Two. Nice. Such a good point.
2: Right? lost That. Yeah. Right. We lose yeah. it completely. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. And yeah.
1: And so I, I do actually think there's a coherent arc here, and it's like I, like I think there's kind of like because Apple Grant wasn't around, they couldn't make the characters yeah. feel consistent, and probably their outline had Jake like forgiving Cassie a little bit in the last book, but not as completely as it comes across, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you know, like you could have you could have written Fifty Two differently, but given what we got. And the way this book starts, right? He, I guess, so here's kind of how I see what Jake has been through. He's at his lowest point in book 50 when Cassie mm-hmm. basically has to manipulate him into becoming the leader of the Animorphs again. And he has that, like, the Yurks are here for our souls. We can't negotiate with them moment yeah. when they the adults finally cede power to him. Um, of course, he gets super mad at, at Cassie, but he forgives her and he's like, okay, we're going to blow up the Yerk pool. Let's see if we can do this. Defeat the Yurks, don't become them. And then you have that the awful chapter at the end of 52 where they've blown up the city. And mm-hmm. you have in the beginning of this book, again, you pick up right there, the city, City is a, a smoking crater. It's all gone. And at some point in this book, Jake is thinking to himself, like, "Okay, got to focus on taking out the pool ship, not the fact that my orders caused my entire city to be obliterated." Mm-hmm. And he does think about their decision in fifty-two, and he's like, "Yeah, we we we've given people some time to escape, but we didn't realize how bad the destruction would be. Probably no one made it out, right?" Like, he's basically because he's it's too late for soul searching. I feel like he's in shock from having blown up the York pool and the rest of the city with it. And he's like,
2: to be clear, the Yerkes blew up the rest of the city, but it was because they had blown up the Yerk pool.
1: Um,
2: like the beginning of this book is literally the Yerks firing their dracon beams at like everything in the city.
1: The way that I read it was that they were, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah. But I think, I think the the obliteration of the city was...
2: It was an indirect result of him, of him, of his orders. Maybe.
1: Yeah. You could be right.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I think you're, you're right that, you know, he started a chain of events that resulted in the destruction of the entire city. And he also... Directly caused the sinkhole in the middle of the city, yeah. but just I just want to make sure that we don't just blend those two things together. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I feel like that his takeaway from the end of Book Fifty Two is that the "don't become them" thing is too late, right? Mm. That's the way that I can kind of reconcile it. But I agree that it's maybe inconsistent. I also want to highlight that thing you just mentioned, Jenny. Um, It's this book starts out with the Yerks destroying a school, Mm -hmm. an elementary school. And Tobias is like, why are they doing this? And Jake is like, they're sending a message. Mess with us. And this is what we do. And Tobias is like, oh, like, really, really? And then Mark is like, no, they're just clearing a path for the pool ship. Like, it's not about this, like sending a message or whatever. And at the end of the book, Jake flushes all the Yerks out into space to send a message to visor 1 it's mm. right he has this he i feel like the seed of that like uh, shock and awe tactics thing is there jake sees it in the beginning and he uses it at the end but it's not necessarily the only choice right like like hmm. marco and tobias are kind of like oh maybe they're just destroying the school because they need to clear a path for the pool ship it's Which not is it's true. not about yeah. sending a message right yeah. mm. um but the way jake thinks about it is is different mm-hmm. hmm. so another thing about jake is he's been in his well we're all gonna die i gotta give it my best shot mode for a while uh-huh. and after arborin reaches out to him
3: yeah he gives, and he comes he back hope. to the
1: anamorphs he's like giddy with hope Mm -hmm. again right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he's so so different he like comes back to life and i feel like that really gels with who we thought jake was becoming right he's like completely lost hope and that's made him ineffective and it's made him callous Mm -hmm. right but here and in that moment of hope he's like reaching out to cassie again and he's like oh we like we can win like now i'm not you know like whatever everything's gonna be great Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um and that's the i think that's also his why he proposes, right?
2: Yeah. Do we Ugh. want to talk about that?
1: We should.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just have—I have so many feelings. Oh, what were your feelings about that, Grady? Mostly, you are sixteen. Would you take a chill pill, for f- sake? I think that Cassie is just is being justified by the text in a way that I do not agree with, mm. and her bad decision making is kind of skated over, including in this Wait, scene about the proposal. No. This is so in that in the scene of the proposal, there's kind of a like idea of Cassie made a good decision Mm. because the outcome has been fine. And no, stop trying to justify it. It was a terrible decision, and also your justifications don't make any sense. But in that in the proposal scene in particular, right, he says. It's, one, a terrible proposal. I guess if we win, (laughs) if we survive, maybe we should, you know, get married and all. Thank you, 16-year-old boy. That is the least romantic proposal I have ever heard. The real reason 16-year-olds shouldn't be proposing. Yikes. But also, Cassie's reaction, like, very sensibly is, I would like that eventually. And then she makes him have an existential crisis in the middle of a war, in the middle of a snake house jake what are you gonna be what are you gonna do what are you gonna study in college listen this is (laughs) not the time tell him that you appreciated the proposal get the snake and get back to the fight we do not we do not have time for an existential crisis right now please thank you we what are you doing
2: yeah and she had also started the conversation with like what is going to happen to our like human society now that we have
1: Oh that's what Jake says. Jake says that.
2: Jake no, I... is like
1: society oh, will change right, and I'm Cassie's sorry. like I don't care about that I care about us. <laughs>
2: You're right. You're right. I forgot. Yeah. She is on a weird, like, I feel like she did not feel quite like a human to me in this book. Mm -hmm. Like,
1: interesting. She,
2: the way that they make her intuitive is like, it's a little bit like supernatural almost, but like it's making her into almost an oracle. Like we talked about the description of Cassie as mystical in like book one. And I think the problems with that have have stayed with us. Like she, it's probably too strong to say that she doesn't feel like a human to me, but like she, she feels like she's being enhanced and reduced at the same time. Like she has this sort of all knowing instinctive thing where like she somehow saw that these results would. Have Happen from the cube, even though she wasn't able to articulate them to herself in book 50. And she also knew that she needed to follow Axe and like knows his secrets. But there's also, I think, I think there are a lot of moments where Cassie does feel completely full and human in this book, but like her thing where she's like, I, I don't think about that. I I think about us. I don't know. She, she seems like she doesn't get to think about other things. Like she's guided by her intuition and doesn't get to have like a full mind. I don't know. I'm not sure I can totally back that up, but that, that's the impression I get from her intuitiveness. Mm
1: -hmm. I totally see what you're saying in the context of her choice in 50. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's less true about the rest of her in this book. Yeah, um, I think
2: there are a lot of other moments in this book where she is a
3: more yeah, person Yeah,
1: and like off the top of my head, she has a bunch of good high EQ moments. Like in the first council, she can see that Jake is going to attack the pool ship no matter what. So she's like moving the conversation along. Hmm. Okay, guys, we're gonna, sounds like we're gonna do this. So let's talk about <laughs> how, right? Like... And she gets, she's like, well, we can just kill taxons, right? Like she has that moment. And Cassie's been the one to come up with surprisingly ruthless plans before. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the the thing where she comes up with anaconda and Jake is like, oh, if we fill the rainforest with anacondas, then the rainforest won't be destroyed anymore. And Cassie's like, he, yeah.
2: I mean, okay, also you're going to really unbalance that ecosystem, but I, yeah. But I, know, I, love, Cassie, I love
1: that, the Cassie's like, like, okay, I could so- kill two birds with one stone.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't, honestly, this is such a minor point. If we agree to give the taxons a place to live in freedom here on Earth, why not the rainforest? The agreement would stop the destruction of the rainforest dead in its tracks. What? How? Cassie, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's- What are you
2: talking about? If you about? can get all the human governments to sign on just, to this agreement with the taxons. Nonsense.
0: <laughs> Nonsense.
2: Wait,
1: you don't think you don't think that ten thousand sentient anacondas could put up a resistance to logging in their in their habitat? I, I
2: don't think that was the implication. Well, that, I oh, I that's what I got. When you, <laughs> when you put it like that, yeah, just right, fill
1: if... the rainforest with sentient enormous snakes, and no one's going to be logging there. <laughs> that is
2: a I good, mean, point. It's a good Th- point. That's what I
1: thought, but uh, I see your, I see the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could also read that as like, it's a goofy intuition that will just work
3: out. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think that was part of my thing with Cassie in this book is that she once again becomes a little bit two dimensional. Yeah. She's again, the fount of morality in that Jake is like constantly looking to her to approve his decisions. And and he's very aware of it now as he sort of hasn't been Mm. like he calls himself out on it. And she knows it too right she also calls that out like you're looking to me to see if i'm gonna tell you this is a terrible idea but i don't have a better idea which is all like fine and very good but there's a lot of times when that looking to cassie for moral guidance kind of makes her a little bit robotic in that it's it's we don't get a lot of the emotional depth that she's feeling it's more of a here's the morality police and we will check in and see how they're thinking about it and then uh, we'll just kind of keep doing the thing that we're doing without giving her an ability to kind of express those feelings on her own and the times when she does it, it happens i think once where she says something like i know you're looking to me but I, I can't give you permission, which I thought was really interesting. And then there's another part where she – you see her t- – it's the, the the taxon part at the beginning. She's the one who says – who kind of goes along with this plan. And you see Cassie's tactical skills, the same one that allowed her to make the plan for David, mm. is the, the part of her that's like, yeah, we got to wipe out the shovels, is what she says, something like that. And it's just – You know, those moments of nuance for her and her position are so interesting that it's disappointing to me when she becomes a kind of two-dimensional stand-in for Jake's conscience. I feel like part of it might be how Hmm. Jake is seeing her. Like, Hmm. not
2: really an indictment of her, but, like, Jake using her in a certain way. And I wonder... I wanna. I wonder well, why he proposes. I am going to talk about that.
1: Yeah, I, I would say mm. a couple of things. I definitely think it says more about... I think the good part, the part that I agree with is that centering the end of the story around Jake's perspective does in some way, and because Jake thinks about Cassie in this way, does kind of reduce her to that. But mm. I actually have a slightly different read on it. Not in the proposal scene. I want to just jump ahead. After Tom approaches them... Jake and Cassie kind of get into the the ethics of what they're doing a bit. And this is after the proposal. And Cassie is doing that. She's looking inward and thinking about her decision, her morphing cube decision, and blaming herself for it mm-hmm. and really saying, like, oh gosh, I was so hopeful, but but here is that like oh the yurks just take the morphing cube and they go off and they're even worse yurks like that's the consequence that we were like Mm -hmm. cassie this decision is stupid and she's like that's gonna happen right like unless their plan goes off without a hitch like that's gonna happen and there's probably nothing they can do about it and she's really struggling with that so i feel like we do get it's Mm -hmm. not just she's she's not saying i did the right thing and everything's working out and like if it hadn't been for me tom never would have come to you right Mm -hmm. she's like oh god what have i done what have i done right like she's She is really thinking about it. But Mm -hmm. during the course of this scene, Jake is like, well, Cassie, you know, like, we're better off than we were. It's working out. Don't worry about it too much. You know, like, you know, Jake is trying to be like shades of gray, shades of gray. And Jake is then starting, the wheels are starting to turn. And he's like, I can beat Tom. I can figure it out. I'm going to see the clear, bright line. Um, (laughs) And this is what Jake says. It took my breath away, the perfection of it, the pure, ruthless perfection of it. All I had to do was send my friends to die. Cassie was still talking to me, but I didn't hear her words, which is such, Mm. it's such a like, obviously Jake has been using Cassie as his moral Mm -hmm. compass. And this moment is all about Jake being like, I'm gonna, I'm turning that part of me off, right? Like this is, he's actively making a choice to leave that behind. And like, Mm -hmm. it does kind of suck that Cassie is like reduced to that from Jake's point of view. But I feel like, she is being her full self in this conversation and he's tuning her out. Right. Like it's not that she's not thinking about it. So I totally get the point, but like, and this is why I'm so, I was so frustrated rereading 50 because I remember Cassie in 52 thinking about her choice. I remember Cassie in this book thinking about her choice. And And in 50 it it is, it's totally reduced to that thing you were saying, Jenny of like, it was just the right thing to do. And then <laughs> Acts in 52 was like, Cassie was right. Which is like, I just want Cassie to, I just I just want to hear from Cassie's perspective, oh my gosh, there could be a third way. It could be a way out. And maybe it's worth the risk again. Like, mm. I, I want to hear her say that and not just like, yeah. it's right. And and I was proven right by the authors, right?
0: Well, yeah. I, want, I want her to understand that she was wrong. And... The justifications and whatever all else is going on and, like, whether or not it ends up okay, it annoys me that the books have been trying to justify her decision for her. Mm -hmm. And I really still feel that it was so indefensible that every time there's a, like, see, it was fine after all, I'm like, it wasn't.
1: No, but that's, that's, that's what... Tom's gonna to become some kind of warlord on her own Jake's like she's blaming herself and she's like I make the big call sanctimonious little me I make the moral optimistic decision and where are we right she's she is owning it right
3: yeah I don't yeah, think actually, she's i don't think
1: she's the sitting pretty
2: justifying her more than she did. yeah J- jake is yeah, saying
1: okay. oh hey you made this dumb call but since it worked out it's fine and Cassie's like no that's not true and Jake <laughs> is like no now we can win I'm gonna win right like she <laughs> yeah. doesn't care but Cassie obviously cares
0: no I mean I guess she does I I think you're right Jenny that the book is justifying her because there's this whole thing about how Tom represents a faction of the Yerks who can now you know be on their side and it's deeply unclear to me that them having the morphing cube like why would they need I guess I didn't understand like some of the justifications like why do they need the Animorphs help if they've got the morphing cube already they can kind of do what they wanted to do yeah
2: what I want to know is Where is Marco in all of this? Like, Jake talks about the pure straight line. Not exactly the bright, clear line, but like, that's what it is. And he uses Marco in this book in very specific, very small ways. He's like, find out who's in charge of the military. You know, get ax, break into some computers, find the chi. It's this like very targeted deployment of Marco, who's Mm -hmm. a really good strategic thinker. I'm intrigued by the possible idea that like, Jake is sort of torn between Cassie's point of view like Cassie's approach to the world in Marco's and he ends up choosing Marco's and that he chooses his pure straight line and I'm not sure that's really justified by the text and part of the reason it's complicated by the text is that Marco's like barely in this maybe because Jake has sort of taken Marco's role for himself I don't know
1: I think Marco's coasting I think he's I think he's taking a step back from being a good lieutenant yeah he does have that nice moment where he tells Jake to demorph but Mm. there's there's a thing earlier on I think when Jake is kind of I don't know he hasn't, I talked about this in like Marco's book as well, but Marco needs to be calling Jake out on his bad leadership. And oh, he, yeah. and he has not, failed to yeah. do that since book 45. Like
2: Tobias is calling Jake out yeah. on his bad treatment of Cassie in this book, which, whew, and Marco doesn't say anything about it at yeah, all. Let
1: me see if I can find yeah. the, the yeah. thing I, Yeah, I don't remember. The moment I was thinking of is when Jake is terrible to Cassie by mistake. <laughs> He says, Mm -hmm. everyone stay behind, and he excludes Cassie by mistake. But of course, because he's been so terrible to Cassie, everyone assumes that it was an intentional snub. Mm -hmm. And when... Jake is dispatching orders, right? So Tobias is giving Jake a hard time about this. Jake yes. is dispatching orders. It's, it's
2: kind of great. Jake is like, Tobias, did you notice that pillar of smoke? And and Tobias is like, you shouldn't have done that to Cassie. And Jake's like, that's not what we're talking about. And Tobias is like, you shouldn't have done that to Cassie. And like, doesn't. Yeah. yeah refuses to talk yeah. about other stuff.
1: Multiple times in this book, it is clear that Tobias has taken over as the heart of the group. Oh. Because Cassie can't fulfill that role because of the betrayal.
2: Yeah, um, I agree. That's such a great point.
1: But anyway... When Jake is giving orders to Marco, Jake apologizes a little bit after Tobias has left. And is like, I didn't mean to do that with Cassie. It was uh, stuff happens sometimes. And Marco just says, uh-huh, I better get going. Yeah. Right. He's not, he's not meddling. He's not trying to yeah. make Jake better. He's not like, for whatever reason, he's checked out a little bit. And it, yeah. I I don't know that there's anything in the text to really understand where he's coming from. But the impression I get is that he's kind of coasting and going along for the mission.
2: Yeah, I mean, he also, he's never been the emotionally intelligent one. He wouldn't be the one to take Jake to task for, like, treatment of Cassie. But he is usually the one with strategic stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I read that slightly differently because he is using his humor in a very emotionally intelligent way in this book,
3: Mm.
0: using it to break tension, using it as a, a way to kind of move them forward to the next part of the mission so that they don't get mired down in the kind of interpersonal conflicts that they're having, which I thought was really great. And I do think, you know, part of it is that because, Jake is taking on so much of this sort of strategic role that he he can take that away from Marco. But there's also a moment where Jake is just, or not justifying, but Jake is telling the other Animorphs where Rachel is. Mm. And Cassie and Tobias freak out obviously. Oh
3: my God. Yeah. This, and Marco this says, is terrible.
0: I, it's just awful. And Marco says, had to be. My friend Marco had seen the same necessity I had seen. He didn't like it any more than I did, but he saw the need, the inevitability. And so in some ways, as Jake is using Cassie as his like external conscience, I think he's using Marco in some ways as his external strategic backup. Like if Marco mm. also sees the same clear picture as Jake does, it means Jake has done it right. And Marco backs him up on that. And yeah. it's it means that Marco doesn't have as much to do, um, except for kind of being funny. But it does mean, I think, that he is useful as a, a hmm. second set of eyes on the problem.
1: That's so true. And I think you're right that it is kind of like, it's weird that Marco is absent. So here's what I want. Here's uh-huh. what I, I want a conversation where jake tries to bring marco in on his conspiracy or he's like he's trying to do the thing and marco's like just don't tell me like (laughs) we're probably thinking Mm -hmm. the same thing but just don't tell me like you don't want to you don't want to burden me with the knowledge i don't know what you're doing right like this kind of like Mm. i at least because it's like a little implausible that they both are on the same page about jake's convoluted plan and they never (laughs) talk about it but i would have loved this moment of like dealing with cuz Jake yeah. kind of wants to keep all the the responsibility and Marco doesn't want Jake to make a mistake but Marco's like I think you have this and I'd rather not know <laughs> right like yeah. I yeah. don't want to know unless really
2: I have good to point. know and he also, he is not someone who's likely to step up and take responsibility. Like, Jake has such a thing about taking responsibility. Marco doesn't tend to do that. Like, he tends to take responsibility when it's pushed on him or when it's something that's, like, really emotionally important to him, like with his mom in Book 30. And I i guess it is plausible that if Jake isn't actively trying to use him this way and Jake is sort of filling the strategic role, Marco doesn't need to step up. Yeah. Can we talk about that first scene where Jake excludes Cassie, because I don't think it was entirely an accident.
3: Ooh,
1: yeah, go for it. I
2: mean, ooh, like, clearly...
1: For once, no. I'm giving Jake the benefit of the doubt. I don't usually. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think I like the irony of Jake's been terrible to Cassie, and this thing that he does here is a... I mean, like, maybe it's really subliminal, but, like, I just like the idea that he's like, oops, but he, you can't... He's lost his ability to kind of
2: make yeah. a little mistake. I mean...
3: But anyway. Uh, yes. Uh, I think I wanna... there's
2: probably a bunch of things going into it. I think he did probably not consciously intend to exclude Cassie. I think it's a little His bit much are... of a coincidence. I think he, it think it's that he wants to avoid her and her judgment. And Ooh, he doesn't quite trust right, her. Right, right. He just, what he wants is to not have to include her. And so he doesn't, like, just, you know, without... Without thinking about it, intending to name all the Animorphs, he doesn't name Cassie. And he totally could have corrected that in Mm -hmm. the moment. And he could have been like, oh, and Cassie, obviously. And like, he would have lost a little bit of face. Maybe it is that he wasn't willing to show any sort of weakness. He sees that
1: he's hurt Cassie and he's like, I'm okay with this.
2: Yeah, he, (laughs) she looked like I'd hit her, um... There was nothing to be done now. I couldn't go running after Cassie. The insult had been delivered. There was no taking it back now. He could Mm. have gone running after Cassie. Like, it's because, like you were saying, he let the relationship become so damaged that he couldn't, like, that she assumed it was intentional and he couldn't correct it like i don't think it was mean-spirited i don't think it was like
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i like i don't think
2: he was Mm -hmm. lying when he said it. he didn't mean to i just i don't think it's as straightforward as like oops slip of the tongue oh no the damage is done like Mm -hmm. i think if he had cared enough about undoing the damage in the moment he could have figured out a way to do it that wouldn't have resulted in like some loss of face that he couldn't handle or something Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's why Marco doesn't really believe him because he's not really telling the truth. And he, yeah. if he had really not meant to hurt her like that, he could have just found her afterwards and said something like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do think though, like first half of book, Jake is we're all going to die tomorrow. Jake. Uh,
2: <laughs> before Arben. Yeah. So, after Arburn is when he proposes to Cassie. Yeah. I mm-hmm. that's re- it's really interesting to me that he does that and I think it is like pretty clearly like he wants to try to hold on to this I guess this vision of himself that he had before this vision of him uh-huh, as a good uh-huh, person uh-huh. this idea that he's not throwing everything away now that he can still have uh, a good like a good life and by that he means the continued approval of this person that he sees as his conscience mm.
1: Ooh, that's really interesting It's like my mm.
2: conscience will still be with me after this war like i can marry oh, it it will never go away oh,
1: oh that's so devastating
2: right he Ugh. he doesn't want to, he doesn't actually want a marriage with Cassie. He wants to-
1: He wants to be a good person. He
2: wants to be a good person. He wants her approval. He wants to know that she's never going to abandon him. Gray, you're making- Yikes. It yeah.
0: No, it's so good and so awful. And it's, we're totally,
2: yeah. And well, so the
1: totally part right. of it, I hadn't gotten to that level, but the part of it that was resonating with me is like, once he sees that they can win, he he's going back to like in 49, he loses his family and that's what he was mm. fighting for. But yeah. now he's like, "Oh, I'll win, and my family will be free, and Cassie, like, I we'll, have, we'll have this perfect life, and we'll go back yeah. to normal, and I'll get a driver's license and play basketball, and <laughs> <laughs> like, all this—it's like this dumb, naive little kid thing." And Cassie's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be a doctor. <laughs> like, that's like <laughs> yeah. a real thing. That's like—I'm not thinking about playing basketball games, right? <laughs> like, what are you gonna do, man?
3: Yeah.
1: The fact that he's like." Cassie, if you love me, that means I'm a good person. Yeah. That's so that's so true and so devastating. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's
0: spot on and awful.
1: I do want to highlight one thing in the proposal scene, which is that even though I feel so bad, this is such a tragic scene, there's this one really cute little romantic moment mm. that I love where they're talking about the anaconda and Jake's like, well, let's get this over with. I said reluctantly. <laughs> it's perfectly safe, Cassie said condescendingly. It's a snake. It's a snake the size of a palm tree. Come on. She put her arm through mine and drew me away toward the access corridor behind the cages. I really like it. They're yeah, so cute. Really They're nice. so cute together. Perhaps for the last time.
0: Definitely no innuendo. It's fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Nothing to see here.
1: I actually really like your point that like this is not the time to give Jake an existential crisis <laughs> because he ends the chapter with "I should be happy," and if Cassie had been trying to win the war, she would have said. I will marry you, Jake.
0: (laughs) Right, and like not, and we'll live happily ever after. We have seen a possible solution. Let's just get that done. No, I know, but the rest of it. But right,
1: but so I mean, I I love Cassie. That would be more
0: tragic if she
2: had. If she lied, yeah. If she had lied, and it was clear to us as the reader, but maybe not to Jake. If she had like put a smile on it and like been like, "Yeah, Jake, let's get married. Great, (laughs) like yeah." That would have been. Even more, that would have been so brutal. I I mean, yeah, I couldn't,
1: couldn't, I'm not sure I could forgive Cassie for doing that, (laughs) even though she's already done so many terrible, made so many bad choices. Uh, Yeah. But I mean, that's fascinating. And like, and you wonder if, you wonder how Jake's decision making might have been different for the rest of the book if Cassie had been more supportive in this moment, which is another tragedy in this scene. But oh. the, the other thing I wanted to highlight about how, like, Jake's using Cassie as, like, a, a mirror to himself. He also brings up Rachel, who we haven't talked about a mm-hmm. lot in this moment, in a yeah. way that I think is very, very telling. So Cassie's like, hey, I'm hoping that I can go back to normal, and maybe not you? <laughs> and Jake says, I, I shrugged and released her and stood away a bit. I'm not Rachel, you know. I didn't fall in love with the fight. I don't need it like she does. I do it. I try and do it well, but it's just a job, a duty. I tried to make a joke of it. Um, And then he goes on and Cassie doesn't laugh. She just looks at him. And then, you know, she forces a smile and it's like a year after it ends. And Jake's like, oh, kind of (laughs) harsh. And then Cassie tries to... (laughs) You love this, Jenny. Hey, if we get married, Marco isn't going to live with us, is he? Cassie said, (laughs) trying her best to jolly us both out of our dark moods.
3: Oh,
0: so good.
1: But so... The fact that Jake needs to see Rachel as a more like extreme version of himself to feel like he can return to normal, even Mm -hmm. though Cassie sees that they're both tied up in the fight and being a child soldier in the (laughs) same way. Uh, I find that very, very telling. And it's one of those, like, it's a great character justification for why people put Rachel in this box. Yeah.
3: Um, Yeah.
1: It's because... Her role is to be so extreme so that the others can feel more human.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because it is. I was so mad. I I love this character justification for why Jake needs to put Rachel into this box. I Mm -hmm. don't think it was legit that Axe did it in the previous book. I don't think he has the same justification. This idea that like, yeah, but Rachel needs it. Where are you getting this? Like, I... I can see why Jake needs to think Rachel is deeper in it than he is, but I am so mad about it as a justification for like as like the text justifying sending Rachel after Tom because yep. it's like all right, she we we do not see her try to give up the war and like be so addicted she has to stay in it. Like that doesn't I don't see the justification for that statement in any of Rachel's actions. And no It feels like you get the term in in writing of an an informed ability. I don't know if I've talked about this before. I think Mm -hmm. I talked about it with like an informed friendship with Cassie and Rachel, where we're like, we're just told Mm they are friends. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, uh, yeah, we never actually see this attribute, but, well, the text told us it was there. Um, Mm -hmm. We do see that Rachel has a really complicated and difficult relationship
0: with violence, but this idea that, oh, she needs the war. I don't see that. And it makes me mad every single time because... Rachel is so great in this book. Mm -hmm. She is making difficult decisions and she's making them for the right reasons. And the right reason is not because she's in love with war, but because she is loyal and strong and strong-willed and that nuance of character gets lost so often Mm -hmm. that I worry I am misinterpreting Rachel. (laughs) <laughs> because I really truly feel that way about the character, but the books keep undermining my faith in her by the way by the things they say, not by what they show. Right. And and that annoys me every time.
1: So, okay, I, we might have to talk about this more as like a whole series retrospective thing because I don't want to I don't want to yeah. get mm. too much into like what Rachel's arc is, but um I think the parallel between Jake and Rachel is really telling because mm-hmm. hmm. I want to connect it I think that the difference is we get Jake's perspective and Jake lying to himself about how deep into the war he is Mm -hmm. in a very compelling and nuanced way in this book and throughout the series. And we don't get that interiority from Rachel Mm -hmm. in the same way. And we see her kind of as a caricature from the outside. But the last Apple Grant book from Rachel's perspective Ugh. is the one where she and Jake are in the hospital and Rachel calls no. out Jake. The
2: last Grant book from Rachel's perspective was 32. Oh, yeah, the that doesn't... Fish. Right, right, right.
1: But that, <laughs> I don't... That was like a... That was... They had to rewrite An it because it was so right? bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, but like in the last David book, one of my all-time favorite scenes in the series is Jake and Rachel talking to each other yeah. in the, the hospital room. And Rachel's like basically calls Jake out and is saying, I am not the crazy extreme one. Like you're just as far gone as me. Mm -hmm. And Jake kind of like chuckles knowingly. And it's like, it's like a little bit, Jake and Rachel have realized what the war is doing to them a little bit before the rest of the animals.
3: Mm -hmm. And I feel
1: Mm -hmm. like they're, they are really kindred spirits. Right. So I do take objection to the, like Rachel's such an extreme version of this, but I don't think she's less far gone than Jake. I totally buy that she, in the way that we see in this book, Jake being, like, Jake's being hollowed out by what the war is doing to him. Mm -hmm. And I think Rachel is in the same way. Like, Cassie has this idea of, like, oh, maybe she'll be a doctor afterwards. Like, and we don't get this from Rachel, but, like, I don't don't see it being any easier for Rachel than Jake to, like, snap back to being a normal teen in college, right? Right. Like, so I I don't (laughs) think it's, like, they're totally missing the point. No. I think it's that I think it's more about their their roles in the group and like who they are to each yeah. other. But and I
2: also yeah. love I love, love, love that Rachel actually takes this on herself as a way to protect other people. And exactly. we saw it so yeah, clearly yeah. in twenty two. And we see it clearly in this book. Like it's not. Yep. It's not. The, like sometimes I feel like they've tried to portray it as she just loves violence, got to run into the fight, like needs that adrenaline yep. rush. Which I'm sure, like there is a. But I mean, piece she does. That. Yeah, there's a piece of that. That's... But like, it's also she recognizes like, okay, someone's gonna have to do this incredibly dangerous thing, and I can do it and keep other people from being damaged by it. And I think that that piece does get left out. In the yes. like, well, Rachel needs the fight, like, and maybe she needs to be able to do that for other people. Like, maybe she needs to be able to protect people that fiercely, and she needs to be able to like sacrifice like her peace of mind, her safety for other people's well being, and like maybe that is part yeah. of what she is. I think like, hooked on.
1: Here's again, here's my headcanon for fixing the Rachel Jake dynamic, like with the yeah. Marco one. Basically, I want the acknowledgement that they could have. It's a, it's just a contingency that they're in this role, like mm-hmm, kind of like mm-hmm. Jake wants to tell himself rachel needs this but for rachel to push back and say like if i was the leader i'd be sending you right like it's Mm -hmm. kind of like this i feel like jake needs to needs to say rachel needs the fight so he can feel a little bit better about like the sacrifice that he's asking her to make right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i feel like it's it's that's like the she's she's the one who has to kill david and then like not talk about that anymore right Mm -hmm. it's like she's doing this thing without getting credit for it. Yeah. So like in a way it's a little yeah. more powerful that they're all not quite seeing her for who she is. <laughs> but I, I wish we got more from her perspective to fill that out, well, you know. Wait, wait,
0: wait. Yeah. yeah. And I I really want to emphasize that in a, in the scene between Jake and Rachel where he asks her to
3: to yeah. go with Tom. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because Jake as you were saying, I think is like her hollowed out by the war and really in a very difficult position. And he understands that and he says, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't know who's going to survive this. What chance was it that Marco would survive and worse in store for Rachel? I needed Tobias and could not risk losing Axe. Cassie? No, it had to be Rachel. Only she would do it, could do it. So he recognizes, like himself, that she's the only one who can do this, who can mm-hmm. do such a difficult task. He explains what he wants her to do. And she says, you're sure, Jake? Because if you tell me go, I'll follow your orders. You know what that means. Yeah, Rachel, I know what that means. Still, she hesitated. It won't be the year, Jake. It will be Tom. It'll be him. And And he says, I know that. And if it happens, if it comes down that way, I don't have a plan for getting you out. You'd be on your own. And that moment to me was so meaningful because Jake is asking her to do something that will likely, if not inevitably, end in the death of his cousin and his brother at like each other's hands one way or the other, right? And her hesitation is not... I might die, this is a terrible idea, anything like that. She is loyal to the nth Mm -hmm. degree. If he tells her to do this, she's going to do it. She is the only one who has not disobeyed him or betrayed him in any way. She is so loyal to her leader that she will do this thing that may, in fact, probably will result in her death. And her hesitation is that it's going to be Tom. It's Mm -hmm. not, I think if she were so in love with this fight, that would not be her hesitation. Right her hesitation yeah. might be but then I won't be here I won't get a chance to take out this or 3 I won't be mm-hmm. you know in the midst of the battle and that's not it her hesitation is I will do this but just remember this is your brother and like I thought that was such a perfect kind of encapsulation of Rachel's role in this, which is like, she's, mm-hmm. she is the loyal warrior who is going to make it happen, even though it is so hard and will be so devastating. And I loved it. And to have yeah. the justification for that be Jake saying, well, it's because she loves war. No, it's not. It's because she loves you and because she loves oh. Cassie mm-hmm. and Tobias. And that is why yeah. she is willing to do this. And, and they kind of call that out a little bit when jake says make sure cassie doesn't know and rachel gets annoyed she's like you don't trust her and he says no that's not it i don't want her to make her part of it because she loves us both and if she knows in advance i don't want her spending the rest of her life wondering if she could have stopped it and rachel says you're right you're right to use me for this not exactly something i'm proud of maybe but later you know if don't be blaming yourself okay and it's again (sighs) it's that shining moment of love for her friends that allows her to take on this role and it is I think a really wonderful view of Rachel that she's going to do this it's she might die she's probably gonna die in the next book but she'll do it because she loves them yeah yeah
1: I think what I'll say I don't think Rachel's love of violence and adrenaline and fighting and being a warrior detracts from that other part of her so like Mm. I think she can be both of those things and that makes her stronger for it. I think it's the absence of the part you were just describing that is Mm -hmm. what hurts about her portrayal in the second half of the series.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I also think this idea that everyone's like, but she needs it. Like, like, even if you say, and she's also super loyal. Like, I think that that is still unjustified, but I do.
1: Unjustified or are you upset because it makes Rachel a bad person?
2: I think we should talk about it in our series wrap up. Okay. I love what you were saying, Gray, about like, yeah, she's the only one Jake can trust to do this. And when he's like, don't tell Cassie, and she's like, what, you don't trust her? I think actually the honest answer is, no, I don't. Like, I think any other Animorph, Jake has reason to believe they wouldn't go through with it. Like, maybe Axe? Oh, but I guess he also says, like, you know, he can't risk Axe because he needs the connection to the Andalites. Mm -hmm. um and but also acts like did this like wacky thing in 46 where he's like ah but i will disobey jake and go do this thing that i know to be the right thing and Mm -hmm. yeah you're right rachel has not done this if all the other animals have like tobias or cassie like a hundred percent would try to spare tom and Mm -hmm. marco i don't know i don't know what i don't know how he would react he's jake probably also doesn't know because marco's always seeing like a bunch of different things at the same time and won't just straightforwardly
3: follow this
1: is another thing that i would love to see is marco getting himself out of it because he wants his like the happy ending he's gotten (laughs) like Mm
3: -hmm, marco mm -hmm. finds
1: some way to take himself like selfishly take himself out of the equation or like rachel steps Mm -hmm. up to save marco like there's a lot of like this is a very interesting possibility
0: Yeah. yeah it is it's so good i mean what it there's so many possibilities but i i do love I mean, the book is so well plotted that, like, we get a little bit of all of
1: that. The other thing I love about this scene is just the amount of agency it gives Rachel over, like, like the fact that Jake is holding stuff back from a lot of characters, but that he's totally honest with her in this scene. Mm-hmm just like jake does a lot of stuff that makes him look bad but it would be so much harder to forgive him if he like didn't let rachel know it could be a suicide mission or like Mm -hmm. didn't let her know the extent to which things could get bad right like Mm -hmm. he he has this kind of like trust that he can be straight with her and respect her Mm -hmm. in that way Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. he like doesn't with a lot of the other characters and so i really appreciate seeing that
0: it's very good
1: so yeah. let's 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 wind it down. So, what do you guys? I think we should pause here. We're probably going to break this into two episodes. What are the big things that we're going to talk about next time?
3: I want
2: to talk about the taxes and the yeah. politics of abandoning your species.
1: I want to talk about Jake uh, flushing Yurks into space.
2: Yes. Yep. Definitely. I want to talk about the ending of the series centering on the pool ship like this and like the way that they've brought it, they've made it narrow again.
1: I want to talk about the chi.
2: I want to talk about the chi.
0: I really want to talk about the chi.
1: Finally, I really want to talk about what happens to the auxiliary animorphs.
0: Oh you. my gosh. Yeah, that's you know, my thing.
3: Yep.
1: There may be more rants in the second <laughs> half of this episode. <laughs> No turning back, no backing down Nowhere to run, no solid ground No place to hide, no one to trust No one to help you when you're lost There's only us
3: It's all in your hands Hold on, hold back the
1: darkness Gotta take a stand, it's all in your hands. (laughs) And we're back. So, Twitter decided that we're just going to release this in a really long episode, so blame Twitter.
2: I feel like we didn't really finish talking about Jake's arc. We talked about the beginning of it, and we didn't really talk about the ending of it. We didn't talk about where he gets to. Talked about how at the beginning he's sort of still in the, uh, yeah, we're probably all going to die. This is doomed mode. And then he learns about the Taxan Rebellion. Mm -hmm. He has hope, but then he learns the Andalites are probably going to destroy the world. And he's like, oh, no, now I feel worse than I did before. And Mm -hmm. he meets with the Taxans and meets with Tom and then ends up seeing this like perfect clear picture of how to uh, double cross Tom or at least avoid Tom double crossing them. Keep Tom from going off to start a new York Empire, and also take over the pool ship and defeat Visser One. He has this whole vision okay. for everything, and at that point, he makes some character choices.
1: Well, so let's talk about this scene, the scene, the the one where he ends up ranting, right? He mm-hmm. strong arms Eric into helping him. He commands mm-hmm. Axe to lie to the Andalites. He browbeats James and the auxiliary animorphs into going on a suicide mission, mm-hmm. even though the auxiliary animorphs are having trouble dealing because one of their one of the auxiliaries dies in the the battle against the taxons. And then he basically has this whole rant where he's like, "This is the final battle. We have to do whatever it takes." He loses it a, a little bit, and Marco, at the end of which, is like, "You're turning into Rachel." <laughs> um, and uh jake's like a little bit self-aware about how much he's he calls himself like a little napoleon or something mm. but it's a it's it's a pretty ugly scene for jake
0: it is he uh he says he's a napoleon wannabe my note there by the way was you're too tall to be a napoleon wannabe <laughs> he and wants to be shorter no he needs to um, the but things. yeah it's a really rough scene i mean just I think another really good example of how well Apple Grant is doing the whole miseries of war
3: thing—that
0: mm-hmm. his ability to see, his ability to see the clear picture takes away from his ability to empathize, mm. and it has to. That is of necessity because if he continued to be kind of a kind, understanding, emotionally available leader, he could not make these difficult calls, and it is only by doing that he he can see a path towards the end of the war.
2: It's interesting that, like, he... I feel like it is inevitable that he do this. I... Feel like it's still an open question in my mind of whether someone I don't know whether it would have been possible for him or someone else to have reached a place of like maturity and ability and experience where they could balance these things better. Like I, my my thoughts sort of after after this speech where he's like, "This is the last battle. We're probably just all gonna die. We have to do whatever it takes." Okay, I was like, "Wow, that wasn't exactly mm. Theoden's speech on like the plains of Gondor. Like he he didn't <laughs> he didn't really manage to." Like, one of the things that he really needed to do at this moment was motivate his troops. Even if he's going to sacrifice them, he has to motivate them toward the sacrifice. And he didn't really do it. He, like, somehow it seems to work fine. Like, everyone goes along with it anyway. But... I feel like it was fortunate that the browbeating worked, and I do wonder if it would have been possible. Like, maybe this is part of the tragedy of, like, he was shoved into this, he wasn't ready, he's doing the best he can, he's still a child, but, like, he is having to do this job that's way too big for any one person. He doesn't really have the
0: support network that he needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean... No, it's a really good point. Sorry, Ted.
1: No, I was just gonna say it is part of the tragedy. I think that's I think that's what makes it such a strong like I hear somewhat in what you're saying, like, well why couldn't they have just won with a better plan and like more emp- like a better plan and more empathy? But I think the like we were just talking about how Cassie just threw his dreams in his face, right? And like yeah. we see Jake okay. being able to be a really great leader. He single handedly persuades General Doubleday to work mm-hmm. with the Animorphs. He goes in mm-hmm. front of the taxons and gives this, this like rousing speech about ha- like the possibilities for the future and like morphs in front of them and stuff. He talks about how it feels like giving a, st- a president stump speech, right? <laughs> and yep. here we see him with this like clear plan. And I think that he's been such a like lead by consensus person. Those are his instincts. It feels so mm-hmm. plausible to me that in order to take this much control over the group, he doesn't know how to be that kind of leader, and like
3: yeah, yeah. he's he's doing point.
1: terrible things to Eric, like knowingly. Oh my gosh!
3: And yeah. <laughs> he's doing te- he's
1: he's doing terrible things to the auxiliary animorphs, and he needs to not. He needs to not feel that and i think that's what drives him to be to sort of seem so monstrous with his approach here right yeah. like yeah.
2: he doesn't know how to feel okay about the things he has to do and so he has to kind of cut himself right. off like, from feeling
1: right and it's like you sort of the mighty cassie approach is like lying through your smile right it's kind of yeah. like for him to be like oh don't mm. you know don't worry about it james like <laughs> i have these contingencies that i'm lying about because i know yeah. you're all gonna die right instead he takes the like yeah. more honest like you know, approach here. That's like also a little bit uglier. Right. Like, yeah, I think the part with James is the the ugliest part. Right. But Jake is feeling guilty about how he made the choice to bring these people into the war. Mm
3: -hmm. And
1: Jake is like, we need all of you. It's going to be as dangerous as it gets. I have a very tough assignment for you. And James is like, okay, you know, I'm in, but I need to see how the others feel. They might want to sit this one out. We lost Ray, Mm -hmm. some of the young ones they're having. And Jake cuts him off. James, we didn't give them morphing power so they could have fun flying around. This is when we need them, all of them. You understand? You've taken on the role as their leader, so lead. I want them all, every last one. (laughs) James says, Jake, some of these kids, I mean, they're all their families have, you know? They're just, they're still just starting to deal with Ray's death. It's not like we haven't fought. I can't, look, if we lose this battle, it's over. You understand me? And then this is when, like, the rant starts. If we lose, it's over. This is the battle. This is the last stand. We lose and here's what happens. The Yurk fleet fights the Andalite fleet. If the Yurks win, they'll be free to enslave every living human being and kill the ones they don't want. If the Andalites win, there's a very good chance they'll sterilize Earth. Kill everything in order to end the Yurk menace once and for all. So you don't like me telling you what to do, you don't like your job, you don't like me period, I don't really care. Before this night is over, the casualties will be piled high, and some of you standing here right now will be dead, and I don't care because we are going to win. Is that clear? We're taking that pool ship, and before this night is over, we'll have this or 1 right here. I held up my tight-clenched fist.
2: Whew. This is Ugh. this is what I was reacting to and I was like I don't know that this is actually motivating. Like this isn't putting what they need to hear in front of no. them. It's
1: But I think it's a really strong character moment.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure, but I and I think that's an important aspect of his character too and his development through this book is becoming the ruthless, heartless leader that Earth needs to survive this battle. And yeah. it's not what he would want, and it's not what we would want for him, but it is, I think, a necessity, or at least the, the book kind of paints it as a necessity for oh, yeah, I
2: this. mean, he's doing the best he can. The thing that's really tragic about this is like, I don't know that all of those auxiliaries were necessary. I guess the way that it played out, because Visser 1 decided to kill them one at a time, they did. Each of them bought time for the rest of the soldiers. But Jake is using them as a diversion. Like, he, like, because he has to take on this heartless persona, he's going farther than he actually needs to to ensure the success of the battle. Yeah. because like there he can't find the exact right pitch that will force people's hands just enough he mm-hmm. is going too far and yeah that is part of the tragedy that he he doesn't have the ability to see like okay here's here's the way I can motivate them here's the way in which I can be moderate moderation is just not a possibility for him in this mode that he's in and he needs to be in this mode in order to carry out his yeah. plans
1: yeah i think it's hard i think that's true but i don't think it's easy in hindsight to say what happened with the auxiliaries meant that they didn't need to be there as part of the diversion. But I don't think Jake really knows that in this moment, even if he were feeling calmer. Mm-hmm. Like, we should mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. the logistics of that a little more. It feels a little undermotivated that he, like, ruthlessly has to send them all. Because, like, yeah. what's the difference between five auxiliaries and 15 auxiliaries? And right. in fact, like, it
2: would probably be more compelling to choose right? six of them. Like, because that's the number of anamorphs that the Yerks are used to seeing. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you're using them as a
2: tactic... Oh, but they know there
0: It really only makes sense for if Visser... Because Visser 3 thinks that the animals he's seeing are the Animorphs, Mm -hmm. but he knows he has killed one of the Animorphs, right? So it only makes sense if you have only five animals on the ground, Mm -hmm. not 23. Like from a I am using this as a diversionary tactic, so Visser Three still thinks that we're down here with the soldiers. It to it to my mind, it did not make sense to send twenty three morph capable animorphs because yeah. auxiliary animorphs, because you were trying to convince him that these are the five originals. And so yeah, I think you're right, it would have been
2: But I do see no, I do I see know. how Jake feels like this is such a big problem, I need to throw everything I have at it. Like that makes sense to me. And actually mm-hmm. it does the book does end up justifying that decision in that if Visser One hadn't taken the time to kill each of those auxiliary Animorphs one by one, then the whole like thousand soldiers would have just died. But Jay couldn't have seen that coming. I think if he had been able to step back and be like, okay, I'll take the ones who are willing to go It's just important to have a morphed presence on the ground. But like he wasn't able to because he needed to be in this like harsh, not taking any objections stance. It's also
1: unclear to me why. Okay, so let's, should we divert and talk about what happens to the auxiliaries now?
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: Because like your concern, Gray, was with fridging um, about Cassie or Rachel. Unfortunately, what happens is that Every single auxiliary Animorph gets Fridged in this book.
2: Yeah. And Fridged is really... Someone called us out on the use of fridge for like yeah. Cassie and Rachel, which is legit. Like Fridged is specifically like killing someone, not as part of their own arc or whatever, but like so that some other character will feel bad about it or
0: be motivated by it. And
2: I still think and I Cassie
1: or Rachel could have been Fridged hmm. circumstantially.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I stand by Cassie. If Cassie dies... I have changed my mind. I think it's Rachel. But if Cassie dies, I do think it is fridging because it will be for Jake's benefit right. yes. for his arc. Yeah. I think that the person who called us out on our comments was completely and utterly right that Rachel has enough agency and individuality that her death will be a tragedy in and of itself and not just as a yeah. motivating factor. For, for. If she, it, I mean, so-
1: the circumstances that are presented with what you think is going to happen are... Very different from like Rachel, like, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking of like an Avengers movie or something. She's like holding the pool ship down to earth, you know, like, and by her very strength is like torn <laughs> apart. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, so yeah, sad. Yeah. Like, like, some kind of like, oh, randomly in violence she dies. That that could, right. feel, a that like, yeah. that a could
2: feel a lot more like. That could feel a
1: lot more like fridging than this, like, very much empathetic, like, Rachel, mm-hmm. it has to be you. She's like, do you know what yeah, you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's very much she owns it. Um, exactly. so,
2: but the auxiliary anamorphs it's fridged. Yeah,
1: because th- n- they are picked off one by one. And so Jake is like, I'm watching them die and I can't do anything about it. And right. then I kill 17,000 yerks. It's like very <laughs> much mm. like. Just like leaning into the awfulness of having to sit through that. Mm -hmm. It's like unquestionably fridging. Which is, yeah.
2: Very, like, it's. It's a very effective moment for him and his arc, which is the point of fridging, like that it serves someone else's arc, where he is sitting there and he's like, I'm the only one on the bridge. I'm the only one with the power to stop it. The people I've sent to engineering are going as fast as they can. But if I demorph and try to fight, I'll just be killed. I am in charge of this whole plan. I -hmm. can't like do the pointless heroic gesture, which is such a difference for Jake. Like he's the one who in book one stood up and yelled at the Horkbajir who were
3: Ooh, yeah. Killing
2: or yeah. like or like Wolverine 3 was killing Alfingor or something like that. He has realized that he's the leader and we've talked we talked about him being called out on this in 52 like he can't always go on the mission because sometimes he needs to be in charge of the mission and he needs to mm-hmm. preserve himself outside of that and he has finally internalized that and they are actually killing 17 of the Animorphs, like not the original Animorphs, not the ones he's been fighting alongside for this whole time, but they're killing his people. And he manages Mm -hmm. to be like, no, the right thing to do is to sit here and just do whatever I can to prevent this. But that does not include a pointless heroic gesture. Just such like so a, oh, it's so heartbreaking. Like it's totally the right choice in that moment, but also just awful.
1: Yeah. And like the thing mm. is, this might be the thing that I hate most about the ending. This mm. the fact that mm. the auxiliary anamorphs get fridged. Yeah. Because huh. I'm sure there are other sort of like things that we'll talk about, maybe even in this book. But like, it's so hard for me to step back from like these characters were disposable the whole time, yep. right? Like, yeah, and exactly. especially because I love them so much in book I fifty, love them.
3: right? And like, I love they James. don't
1: they only exist in this book. You get like a little bit. I think James saves Jake's James life. Saves
0: Jake. Yeah, that was that cool. earlier. One,
1: yeah. So like, James is again the most characterized, and and he gets well characterized in. Was it the beginning of 51 or beginning 52? Beginning of 52. When he and Ax, Rachel and yeah. Axe are doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, but...
0: The rest of them just... The rest of
1: them are just names die. here. Ray gets killed well, earlier. Yeah, and like, then... Yeah,
0: Ray... I thought
2: that they were not... I, I was... I remember complaining about, like, we didn't get... We're, you know, because they've widened this net, we're not going to be able to develop them all that much. I still expected them to be more of a presence and more developed than they ended up being. And th- Yeah,
0: well... And the way that they kill them is so brutal. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. Poor, I I don't remember what her name is, Trisha or something like that. But she gets her back legs cut off and her front continues to, like, try and attack. I mean, it's just miserably awful. And, like, you see why, but ugh. And most of them are like, we don't even see how they die. Most of them, we
2: don't get their names. Like, it's so brief. And it's so not made a big thing of in a way that's, like, so... Well, it, I mean, I, I, I don't know that they could have made a bigger thing of it in that scene. Like, it is serving the scene. It's serving Jake's arc. But, like, these were, like, 17 new anamorphs. These are kids you gave the power to. And yeah. this is where I really feel like the auxiliary anamorphs fall down on the ableism thing. Like, mm, yeah. that they... Yeah. They just get they get given this power, and then they just get fridged, and they are completely, like you said, disposable.
1: And in this book in particular, Jake is like, it's so hard to watch them demorph because they're helpless. They can't even yeah. stand, and then they all get, like, killed off. It's like...
0: Mm-hmm. It's so tragic. It feels
2: also a little bit like... Um,
1: Reducing them to a tragic... They're they're tragic they're in tragic of themselves, anyway. and then they get yeah. killed off, and it's well, it all to make bit, Jake feel bad. It
2: feels a little bit like the thing with Rachel, where they're like, well, but she needs the fight. What would she do after a war? And and they're like, well, these people, their bodies don't work very well anyway. Oh no, they died. Like, it's so awful. Yeah.
1: The other thing is like, I want to defend like the plotting of this book a lot, because I, I love the way that Jake and a lot and a lot of the characters are making like tough choices and bad, good or bad decisions. But it's kind of like, like, I do kind of buy this idea that Jake needs to be extreme in some way to get the job done. Yeah. And you can question the decisions all you want. But it's like a lot of it comes down to like in multiple times in this book, a matter of minutes between success and failure. And he's like, oh, the engineering bay is too far from where we entered the ship. If it had been three minutes closer, most of the auxiliary animals would have survived, mm-hmm, right? It's just mm-hmm. like little things. Or like when fighting the Texans, he's like, we can do this for two more minutes. And but it's like, minute, it was
2: one minute too long. It was long. one minute yeah. too long,
1: right? Like, yeah. it's just like, you can second guess those choices all you want, but there, there's always going to be something like that. And so I love the way the book goes through this, but
3: mm-hmm.
1: the overall choice to put only disposable humans introduced in this book and the disposable auxiliary animorphs on the ground as like things for Jake to lose. Like Toby's not down there. The animorphs parents Mm -hmm. aren't down Mm -hmm. there. Right. Like you could have easily had Ava leading that charge. Right. Like there are like, there are like so many other, right. There are like so many other things that it's like, or, or the other way, why are you only bringing six animorphs on the mission onto the, the pool ship? Imagine if, maybe not James, but if three or four of the auxiliary yeah. animorphs had been in the engineering bay with them, right? Like, are they really going to detract that much from the emotional thing in the moment? Like, it's tough having six characters in the scene, but you've got Toby and all the other Horkajir on the ship. Like, right, right. why not have some of the auxiliaries there? Like,
3: yeah. it's like,
1: I feel like it's the degree to which that they are just treated as like one unit yeah. is like the thing that makes it so bad.
2: And what you were just saying, mm-hmm. you're like, what if Ava had been leading the charge? What if Lauren had been down there? Like, I like you said that. And I was like, Oh, no, that would have been impossible to bear. And I was like, that's the indictment of this book that the auxiliary anamorphs all get killed. And like, it doesn't hurt as much as if Ava or Lauren had been killed. Like it doesn't get to us. At least it didn't get to me Mm -hmm. because they haven't really been made characters and they deserved better than that. Like they, they had, they were great characters in 50 and they, then they just totally faded out. And so it doesn't feel like a loss to lose them. And that's. that's the thing where this book really falls down. And it's not It's like, maybe it's a coincidence that they're all the characters with disabilities, but like, it's not right. It's not a coincidence. And even if it was like, it's not an okay coincidence to let stand.
1: It's like, it's like they, it really makes like they were introduced as a plot device and then written off to simplify the narrative. It's like, like it's so hard to avoid that reading.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the ways that that really shows is when they're in this battle and killing the auxiliaries. They're doing it kind of one on one and her na- the first one who dies that we see is a girl named Trisha. Um, and it's that thing I was saying like this really horrible. like her back legs get shut off mm. and her front legs keep running until she topples forward and and is dead. And they say like all of basically all of them ha- have died. but it's it's she's the only one that's whose death is described. And the rest of them, it's just, you know, we we have too much time. There's nothing we can do. We're just going to destroy them. And the thing about that is, I think that we've had a chance since we've met the Auxiliaries to get to know them. So we knew James, and then we met his, like, friends. And as we talked about previously, like, those friends don't become his lieutenants. Mm -hmm. They don't, you know, the named characters, one of them randomly changes a name. Yeah, Timmy. Like, Halfway through, Timmy comes two-on, which reminds me, and Ted, you can cut this, but when I was writing Jenny's story for a story swap, there's another two-on in these books. Really? In an earlier Acts book, there's somebody else named two-on. What? And I'll send it to you later, but I was like, hey. Whoa. (laughs) I know, like, what a completely random name to have come back, but like, yeah, it's more than one. Anyway, so... The thing is, like, we ha- the, the books have skated over them and not characterized them at all. And I think this moment would have been much more tragic had that been James, who died in Rhinoceros Morph, mm. running across the battlefield, leading the charge of his auxiliaries. Or if we had met Trisha before, and she was one of the lieutenants and one of, you know, if that was, um, what was her name, Colette, the one who, like, lied about being yeah. in a ski accident. Like, I loved her. She was so wonderful. And, like, I never heard about it. She died in this battle presumably, but like, we don't know her. Yeah. And it, there, so I think the books kind of missed those opportunities to make these real characters. And I still like, I love the auxiliaries. I'm glad they were there, I guess. But I wish that this moment had been more meaningful. Yeah. Because we knew more about that.
1: And in particular, another like little quick fix. The fact that they're they die so helplessly, right? Like yeah. it's like it adds to the tragedy. But I would have loved if somehow it had been like the auxiliaries. Like the plan is going awry a little bit, and the auxiliaries realize that by splitting up into small groups, they can like distract the pool ship oh, and yeah. like like the, mm. they're doing some tactical thing. They're not yeah. trying to you know get themselves killed, but they're like doing like if if it you know
3: yeah it's like
1: that does remove some of the senseless tragedy of it all but i feel like giving them a little more tactical agency even would have made it better
2: yeah yeah agreed because they didn't really have any agency at that moment and it's it is i mean that's the point of fridging right it serves it serves someone else's arc like it that like jake just used them as cannon fodder is like Mm -hmm. one of the more unforgivable things that he does and
3: yeah
1: yeah, yeah 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 and i don't want to i don't want to write that out of jake's character right like mm, i think it mm-hmm, is valid mm-hmm. that he made that choice and has yeah. to deal with it yeah. but um, yeah.
0: Speaking of unforgivable things that he does, shall we talk about the chi? Yeah. Let's talk
1: about it. Okay,
2: I was so mad. Not at Jake. I mean, I was mad at Jake also. But, like, mad in a different way at the books for retconning Eric's character. Like, this was so, like, offensive to me. That, like, offensive might not be the right word, but, like this was This was one of the few parts of the book that didn't feel rooted in the rest of the series because there are a lot of things Jake does that are terrible that are like but are in terrible in like a satisfying like, okay, this is this is well written. this is well done. This is not who Eric is. They have in recent books had a couple throwaway lines about like, oh, that she would never help us with that plan. It would violate their programming. This is mm-hmm. not the chi that we saw in the first half of the series. We met yep. Eric in book 10 when he was like, all right, we are physically incapable of violence, but if we get this Pamelite crystal, I will be able to change my programming to be able to be violent. Yep. There's never any idea of like, I can't support plans that involve violence. In fact, he supports their plan to get the Pamelite crystal, which is gonna involve mm-hmm. violence and gonna mm-hmm. enable him to do violence. In 26, he goes with them to the escort homeworld, knowing that his goal is to destroy howlers. He has a personal stake in that, but like he wants them dead. He's going to do things that will result in them being dead. He can't do anything directly. And he feels really bad about that because he wants to be able to. He did make the choice in book 10 not to alter his programming because the amount of physical violence he is capable of is like too much for him Mm -hmm. to handle but he still is working in support of the cause of violence and in 29 when he's helping Cassie with acts he indirectly helps her you know perform a lot of violent acts in the year pool he doesn't ever say like oh we can't perform this brain surgery because like we were sort of like oh maybe that would be Mm -hmm. violent no he never says that He, like, everything up through, like, the 30s with the Chi was a physical inability to perform violence. But they will help with plans that involve violence because they do believe in this cause, at least the small group of them that Eric is, like, part of that want to defeat the Yerks. Like, this idea that has been springing up in recent books and, like, as if it's just always been known that, like, oh, well, they wouldn't help us hack this, like, database because it would result in us doing violence. That's nonsense. That's not from anything we've seen in the series and like directly contradicts things we've seen in this series. And in this book where I like, I can only imagine that they were like, like the authors were like, the chi are too powerful. If we let the chi just do holograms of everything, it'll just make the, it'll make it too easy for the Animorphs to win or something. Mm, Mm -hmm. And and so they're like, oh, okay, the chi wouldn't help with this plan because there's violence involved in it. That's from nowhere. I'm so mad about it. I'm so mad. Yes.
0: Do you know what else is new that we learned in this book that I didn't know about before and I'm annoyed by? What? Did you know Eric has both core programming and discretionary programming? <laughs> what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? I like, cause
2: like I do buy the thing where he's like, he can't, they're like blackmailing him or whatever. And he's and Marco or someone is like, yeah, Eric, turns out Eric cannot like, turn on the weapon systems, that goes against his core programming. I believe that, like, that actually made sense to me in that like, that's like the hard written law that like, he can't do violence. It's the rest of it, his like, discretionary programming or whatever we want to call it, like, where he does seem to want to help with plans that involve violence, that's the part that's just like, become nonsense. Like, what is that?
0: Yeah, and the, the whole blackmail thing was just, Ugh. again, it's, you know, we're gonna fight them without becoming them, but like, you're kind of getting towards that point and it was so harsh i did very very much appreciate eric's reaction because he definitely understands what they're doing but then he swears at them in ancient mesopotamian that was amazing a dialect known for its wide variety of curse words amazing love everything about that made me very very happy good job eric the rest of it's nonsense, but... Eric was a character. Like,
3: yeah.
0: if you want to change his reaction to violence and his,
2: like, stance on all this, give us some character development that supports it. Don't have it just be, yeah. like, retconned into, like, he was never willing to do this stuff, probably, somehow.
3: Mm-hmm. Sorry, what
1: were you going to say? No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with your rant. Uh, the thing is, I really like how it plays out in this book. Mm. I'm thinking about like the thing that I think is off. Right, I think the problem is less to me fundamental Chi stuff and more the Eric character assassination. Yeah, because I almost Mm. imagine like what if Eric had been destroyed or they couldn't actually find him, but they found some other Chi who who doesn't really want to work with the Animorphs as much. Like Mm. that almost fixes every problem, right? Yeah. But even with Eric. I really like the idea that Jake is willing to use Erica as an instrument and push him farther than he's willing to go,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, even as like a, a person like Cassie who can make choices, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like hmm. the fact that Jake so quickly is like, well, she can't help, but I've, I found a loophole. We can blackmail them. Like starting there feels extreme and it doesn't yeah. really get any better, but I definitely mm-hmm. could imagine them like getting to the pool ship And Jake, like, Eric's okay with all the hologram stuff. And then he's like, Jake, you're like... Or, I mean, even if Eric was, like, moralizing about flushing yurks or something, right? Oh,
3: yeah, he tried to stop that.
1: Yeah, but, like, if there was some more thing where, like, at some point Eric says this is enough, and then Jake basically blackmails him. And then the thing that I love, the thing that I really love about the ending here is that Jake blackmails eric to get what's get what he wants but eric still has the agency to Mm -hmm. disable the pool ship's weapon systems which means that jake has to activate his rachel plan b Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. like the just like the fact that that karma comes home to roost where he's like you know what I'm not going to work with Eric. I'm going to use him. And, you know, I don't actually hold it against Eric that he, like, saps the power from the weapon systems. Because it's not like Jake filled him in, right? Like, he didn't (laughs) know that he was, you know, making things worse for Rachel and everyone else. So I really like the way that that all falls into place. But you're totally right about how, like, Eric's character and sort of the way the Animorphs think that she work is pretty inconsistent. And it's a pretty major retcon.
2: And one of the things that we were saying is that like this book does a great job of introducing other groups with their own interests that may or may not be perfectly aligned with the animorphs. Like they mm-hmm. have maybe they can form an alliance for some reason, but they they have fundamentally different goals yeah. and interests in the situation. The chi could have been one of those groups. Like we could have explored what do the chi actually want in this? Like how have the chi come to some sort of group conclusion about like how they want to be involved in this fight? Why have they they shouldn't just have appeared for the last few books because like major stuff is going down why have we not seen you since like i don't know 45 or i guess sorry 49 with the rescuing the families Mm. and it would be it would have been really interesting to have them have their own agenda and try to work with jake and the animorphs and like it would also have been great if we had been able to see eric's like betrayal of jake like a little more up close and personal like if they had just because it was a little bit like okay we've shoved eric into this functional role oh no he's like fighting back against us but like very off screen and he Mm. didn't really get to be a physical presence in that moment i think that that she really got really done a disservice by this book
1: here's again i'm i keep trying to fix the ending (laughs) i feel like this again it needed more space you're totally right it's an interesting thing as a third faction i'm actually okay with Eric coming into this book mad at Jake, but like, what if he had blackmailed Eric into helping them blow up the Yurk pool, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like he's like he's already like said like, okay, well, we need somehow we need the Chi as part of this plan, uh-huh. but they're not going to sign up for that. It could even be like the Chi don't actually want all-out war because that's mm-hmm. going to kill humans and right, dogs yeah. and that's bad. Like, what mm-hmm. if we just let the Yurks take over? Maybe that's the best thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I could see the Chi.
2: Or just like stubbornly being like, No, we have to find a peaceful solution.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. This,
2: this violence on this scale is not okay with us. That would have been fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. So if
1: like if Eric had come into this book already with a grudge against Jake, but they didn't do that work. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think part of it is like this book does so much good work towards so many things. A lot of that work could have been done in previous books if, you know, Apple Grant had been had the space to be more involved with some of this ending stuff. So I think the chi thing is probably a casualty of trying to do too much in a single book, doing most of it really well, but the chi thing, they really, they really drop the ball on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, it's actually thinking about Arburn, Tom, and Eric as three different versions of the like external faction, and they're like representatives of them is super interesting because Arburn works perfectly right Mm -hmm. like it's an awesome callback it's a character that is established for the readers but not for the animorphs at all Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he takes up the appropriate amount of space and like there's some nuance with like he thinks thomas is friend but like it doesn't really matter and like the animorphs don't need to know that he has this whole backstory with Elfingor or whatever right Mm -hmm. tom comes out of nowhere with like a really big personality. We saw a little bit of it in 50. He's obviously Jake's brother, Rachel's cousin. There was the whole thing with Temrash earlier, but like-
3: But this year- It is a little
1: jarring that like suddenly he is such a big presence in the end game, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get Eric who has been a huge, huge character throughout the series. And now suddenly appearing at the second to last book with like a slightly off mm-hmm. thing. It's like so miscalibrated, <laughs> so mis- so mis- yeah. right? Yeah. Like because yeah, yeah. of his role. So like mm-hmm. if there had even been like, yeah, I don't know. That's just really interesting. Yeah. They, they do sort of serve yeah. the same purpose in this book, but Eric needed yeah. more time.
2: My, my theory is that the Chi became a little bit of a problem for the series because they are so powerful. And mm-hmm. I mean, I said this a little bit before, but like the idea, like they kept not showing up in recent books they kept not doing the things they could have i talked about how mr king was so helpful at the beginning of 49 and then they didn't even ask him to help get lauren out which would have been way better than giving her the morphing power
3: yeah Um, that's so true
2: and and i think it is like once you have this power of like holograms and force fields and like everything on your side suddenly you can solve problems in this different way that doesn't necessarily make use of the Animorphs powers, I still think they could have figured out a way for those things to work better together. But like, I think it was like, okay, we just kind of don't want to deal with this. We're just not going to talk about the Chi in a lot of these books. Hmm. And then they, like, they could have used them to such better effect in this book if they'd been willing to have them have the character they had at the beginning. But it just was becoming yeah. increasingly clear that like, oh, the Chi are way better than the Animorphs at this we don't want to have this close a collaboration where the anamorphs are way more way less powerful than the chi i don't know
1: that's a really good point Yeah.
2: yeah so we mentioned arbrin the taxons it's such an interesting thing so the taxons show up and we've talked a little bit about the weird like what the heck is going on with the taxons they're so hungry this seems weird why did they not evolve in a way where they had the appropriate hunger for the amount of food they had and you know some of our commenters have made really good points about like Okay, evolution's weird. We talked about that in the mailbag. Like, it's plausible that, like, this species that's just miserably hungry and, like, desperate for Mm -hmm. food all the time would exist. And I love the theory that, like, their world used to be an ocean and they had plentiful food in it, but, like... Now it's become this sort of desert wasteland and now they're just hungry all the time. And so that the Texans come to Jake and are like, we don't want to be Texans anymore, which for me reading is was a very like it's one of those weird sci fi and politics things that like in the real world, there is no equivalent of this. And Mm. so trying to make parallels, you're always going to fall short. Like, it's never going to actually be a parallel. And so it's, like, okay in the sci-fi world in a way that, like, some of the potential parallels you can think of would not be okay. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, species is not the same as race. Species is not the same as disability. This idea of, like, all these taxons don't want to be taxons anymore because there's something fundamentally terrible about being a taxon, like, pings my, like hang on, this seems like a red flag, like, alert button, but, like, I'm not... I don't know. I wanna I wanna hear you guys' take on it because it might just be me trying to draw parallels that aren't really justified. I don't know. I think
1: you're totally right. I think the the flip side from the sci fi perspective is the like transhumanist perspective that like mm-hmm. I think it is a little bit reactionary when you moralize and say what is natural is right. Mm-hmm, right. So mm-hmm. like I think it's okay for the taxons to want to change their bodies to the extent of entirely yeah. losing them, as long as they have agency in it. Right. So right, part of right. the problem is maybe that you could t- come away from this book thinking, oh, well, taxons are evil, except for the taxons who don't want to be taxons and they're good.
3: Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is
1: definitely a bad luck for mm-hmm. this idea. But I don't I, but I don't think I think it's um, short of getting into a bunch of taxons talking to each other, too, about what it would mean to them to give up <laughs> their identities and leaving the mother hive mountain mound behind yeah. the home world. Right. Like taxing chronicles where are you i
2: I mean i feel like in me it's almost a reaction against against colonialism or something this idea that like ah we have the key to like what your society is missing and like i feel like in a lot of like leftist talk you get this sort of tension between tolerance and like what to like this this tension about where to apply tolerance i guess and just because we have this sort of terrible history, we in the West, you know, Western white culture has a terrible history of like trying to tell other cultures what's good for them. It can be easy to be like, oh, that's a thing in another culture. It's automatically good. Like that, those two things don't follow. It's mm-hmm. just that we should let this other culture determine what, you know, the ways in which they want to change because, you know, we're clearly real bad at it and it's not our place. So I feel like you're right, Ted, that like, taxons are taking their own agency and saying like we don't want to be taxons anymore to me that feels a little bit like the thing where sometimes you'll get cartoonists who draw women in very scantily clad out like very scantily clad who are like well doesn't that woman get to decide what she's wearing no you decided what she's wearing she's your character she's not like you made that choice for her here the authors are making the choice for the taxons to not be tax not want to be taxons anymore Mm. Um, but like I also think that 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 response that like instinctive response of mine is a little bit miscalibrated. I think it's a little bit like overcompensating well, for no well various things.
1: I think that that's that that's really interesting and really hard to untangle. But another way to look at it is arborin is almost like a he's like oh,
2: Arburn's not a taxon. That's true. No, he's like an Andalite
1: <laughs> Crusader who's uh-huh. like he is suffering from the trauma of being trapped as a taxon. <laughs> And the way he's chosen to work through it is basically to evangelize Andalite technology to the Texans mm, as, like, mm-hmm. a way out. So it's almost like he started, mm-hmm. like, a morphing religion, and here he is with Across, his, yeah. his like, Taxon followers who see this, you know, path to paradise, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it would be totally plausible that there are Texans who don't want to be slaves of the yrks who also yeah. don't want to follow Arborin, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And it's just, like, we don't see them. And it, it's so interesting to see, like... Like, because Arben comes off as, like, hero of the taxons here. But really, he's an Andalite, right? Like, yeah, that is true. I mean, he's really both, true. but I feel like that colonialist, crusader reading mm-hmm. is totally
3: valid.
0: Yeah, another kind of nuance of that I think I want to bring up is the way that there are kind of three different ways the taxons, in theory, could be. Mm-hmm. And the taxons' desire to be other than that and what they are. To me, felt like it was in this book being used as a metaphor for the Yerkes mm. or, or a parallel for the Yerkes. Mm-hmm. That you could have the Yerkes who are wanting to take everything over, following this or one. The ones who want to go and do their own thing, um, following Tom. And then the Yerk resistance, which, by the way, was not present in this book for some reason. Oh, that's so true. So when they were talking about, like, all we need is the morph power, we'll be able to morph, we'll become Nothlets, and we'll have our own, and they use the phrase, taxon homeworld, which I was like, whoa, that's, that's a loaded word. But it was, I think, something that's interesting about that is that the Yerks kind of have the same ability like the yurks there are yurks there who also want to be not Mm yurks who want to be something completely different and the morphing technology allows them to do that and that is it's weird that there are two species who are both like gross from our perspective (laughs) both of whom have the like but if only we could be completely different and not us anymore that would solve so many problems
2: Yeah, it's weird that the solution that the series seems to be like presenting is like maybe these species just shouldn't exist. Like, what a weird. Yeah.
1: But remember how compelling 19 is? Aftran realizes that being a parasite is morally wrong mm-hmm. i think that's a super interesting thing to explore and like yeah. mm-hmm. i think so i think the taxons being really hungry all the time is not as morally wrong <laughs> as being a parasite and like yeah. the fact that it's drawing yeah. that parallel is or mm-hmm. that, that it's making them seem more similar than they are yeah is it's maybe like where this it hunger down. has
2: led us to support parasites which yeah like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and.
1: I also think that another colonialist aspect about how the Animorphs are handling it is like, Axe is like, yeah, so the Andalites aren't going to go for this. Violate Sira's kindness. Also, how can we trust taxons? they're terrible? And Jake is like, oh, well we'll supervise them while they morph and become Nothlets, right? So it's, like, they're not really trusting the Taxons here. They're Mm going to, like, mm -hmm. get the Taxons in a line and be, like, okay, turn in, you get one morph, go for it, right? Like, they're not actually... um, Well,
2: they also don't know the tax. I mean, like, what grounds would they have for trusting the Taxons?
1: No, I know, but I'm I'm just saying that, like, their whole approach is, like, um, okay, you signed on the dotted line, you're all going to become not Taxons anymore, no Mm vaccines, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, it's very much a, I don't know. They're not prioritizing getting to know the taxons.
2: I guess. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. the question is: so they okay? They don't know the taxons, but like, what are they afraid the taxons will do? Like, do they think the taxons want to like take over everything? Yeah. Maybe they think the taxons right. would want to like eat all the whole galaxy.
1: Any like. species with morphing technology will want to control the whole galaxy, and the Andalites <laughs> know that they're the only ones with the responsibility and maturity mm-hmm. to do it.
3: Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Do we want to talk about the absence of the Andalites in this book? Because I love yeah. it. I love that that basically it's like this sort of like ah, the the scene where Cassie outs Acts as a traitor, and he he confesses, and everyone realizes that they have hope, but only because of the Taxons and the Yurks, and not the Andalites. And the Andalites yeah. are actually one of Ooh, their biggest problems. What an yeah. It's so satisfying, and like they bring up the <laughs> hork homeworld. They bring up all this stuff. And Axe is basically like, yeah, we can't trust the Endolite military. Our only chance is to try and embarrass them in front of the Endolite homeworld <laughs> to the point where they think that their their whole society will collapse if they if they don't like do the right thing.
2: It's, they're so the Americans. Yep. They're yeah. 100% the Americans. Is, yeah, you know. it's like, let's
1: get cameras on the ground during wartime yeah. and then, to you make know, the American people see how bad Voters will sort of rebel,
2: except, like, that's still a very naive view because, yeah, yeah. you know, our country has seen uh, a lot of terrible things and still supports terrible people who do them.
0: Yeah, Axe has a lot yep. of faith
2: in the Andalite electorate, which may be unjustified.
0: And, like, but does he... I mean, it's definitely not justified, but I think the fact that he kind of owns up to it is, like, pretty impressive. Or not impressive, but, like, I mean, I I really was happy that Axe was called out on that because I think it was important for Jake to see that he, that Cassie's betrayal was one of many betrayals. Yeah. Yeah. Cassie's was worse. Why he only trusts Rachel. Hasten to say, hasten to say, Cassie's was worse, and I'm not justifying it, but I think that's important. And that Axe did have this information about what the Andalite High Command is doing was, I think, important. Yeah. I don't know. I'm feeling very cynical about, like regimes in general these days and so his plan of like well we'll tell the electorate and they'll hold the military responsible for their misdeeds and i was like yeah "Yeah, all right but like who has that kind of time
1: (laughs) yeah i mean and we have no idea right the endolites aren't in this book at all so we have no idea what's going to happen in the next book and by we i mean you (laughs) too um true the thing that i love about this point is it really divides axe's loyalties because i think he from the inside he's like so Part of this andelite propaganda machine of like, oh, the Andalites are good and noble and we do bad things, but it's for good reasons. And it like, that's like very American. And it's also at this point, he's like, oh, yeah, we do good things assuming that we always know what's best. Mm-hmm. But having seen the truth of this situation, it's like, oh, like that is, we are like ultimately hypocrites. And so it's, like, he has to rely on this idea that, like, when presented with truth, people will respond to that according to their stated values and not their, like, the actions Mm -hmm. of their society at large, right? Like, just, like, really skewering that, like, um, hypocrisy is so good to see.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. I think that the thing where Axe is like, you're asking me to lie to my people, and Jake's like, no, I'm telling you to— we don't get a lot of Axe's reaction there. I kind of like to think Axe is on board with that. He's just making clear. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I think that I, he yeah. is someone who wants clear orders. And if Jake tells him, like, you know, lie to your people, he will be like, okay, my princess told me this. And Jake, yeah. Jake Axe is actually
1: that. his the best lieutenant for Jake in this book. Yeah. We'll talk about the ending. Uh, the other thing I want to say about the Endolite bit is this is another good example of Tobias being the heart. Because, like, Cassie... Oh, no, this is actually mm. earlier. But Cassie's like ax totally betrayed us. Jake's super mad. Rachel's like, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Which I love. Again, I love Rachel. I oh god, I loved <laughs> right, that
0: moment right, right, right. so much. Um it's it's my favorite Rachel moment in the whole book because they find out she that he betrayed them and Rachel says, "I'll kill you myself." They they like hold her back and then he explains what he what he did and Rachel goes, "Okay, but now can I kill him?" Right. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> Chef's kiss. So good.
1: The, but what Tobias does is everyone's still reeling from Axe having betrayed them. But Tobias knows that Axe may have betrayed them, but he's he's the only one who knows what they can do about it. So mm-hmm. Tobias is just like, so h- how, do we, how do we get through this? Like, what do mm-hmm. we say to the Andalites? Like, what do we do? And then Axe is able to be like, okay, well, we can, like, well, maybe the electorate, maybe the other thing, right? Like, yeah. Tobias sees the, like, okay, we'll just, we got to bring him in. He's our only chance. Like... It's so good.
2: Yeah. I love like, Tobias has always had a little bit of, like, an ambiguous role in the group. Like, is he's sort of the smart guy, but, like, that's more becomes Axe. And, like, he's sort of the heart, but that's more Cassie. And he really has stepped up to this heart. I know. Yeah.
1: And the way that, at the end, like, like Cassie is so reeling, like... The bit where Jake is alive mm-hmm. and she comes to him mm-hmm. and then, like, is like, oh, it's so great to see you. But then she's like, oh, but you hate me and turns away. And Jake has to be like, no, Cassie, you can hug me. I'm feeling <laughs> great. Let me tell you about Arbor. <laughs> like, that's so sad. And then, like, at the end, Tobias, is, he you are saying, like, Tobias is like, you can't be mean to Cassie. And uh-huh. at the end, he's like, what have you done to Rachel? Like, yeah. he's so mad. He's so mad don't about
2: let her die, everything. Katie. Don't right? you let her die. With, mm-hmm. like,
1: such good reason. Yeah. Right?
2: <laughs> well, we talked about how I think we talked before about how Cassie is can't fully be the heart because she's the conscience,
1: mm, and yes. so Tobias oh,
2: yes. is the is the heart. Yes, yeah. that's so and true. And Cassie's conscience consciousness is really uh, tripping her up. It's like right. it's too big a thing for her to deal with
3: anything else.
1: And right, right now. and like right, that's where they've diverged. Cassie is like the right thing for the universe, and Tobias is like the right thing for your people. Right? Mm, yeah. Right. Uh oh.
2: The thing you were saying, Gray, about the betrayals made me realize a little bit more like... Yeah, because Jake did realize like, oh crap, Cassie betrayed me in this way. I already knew Axe had done this thing with the nuke, you know, water under the bridge. He also was talking to Andalites and we didn't know. Everyone is just like... And I think that probably contributes to his trying to just lock down all the loyalties at the end. He, he mm-hmm. feels like he needs to be extra forceful. He tries to get Cassie to marry him. He's like, we need all the auxiliary animorphs. I don't care how they're feeling. Axe, I'm telling you to lie to your people. Marco, just find Eric. Just do it, you know he yeah yeah he he feels like and marco almost dies down. on that
1: mission right
2: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the stuff that gets breezed over in this book is like i just oof. okay
1: so while we're talking about like lights and taxons and stuff can we and i'm sure we'll come back to this again in the end but i just want to hear like your thoughts on it now the thing that's that struck home about that council scene is it's like the series is all about this like zero's kindness idea uh-huh. right like how that gets presented mm-hmm. as like, oh, bad thing created York's yerk's bad. And then at the <laughs> end here, like that really is what it's all about. It's mm-hmm. like, what do we possibly have to overcome this, the superior numbers of the Yurks or the superior technology of the Andalites? It's like, the 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 morphing cube itself and the ability to do this like cross species like cultural transfer and technology transfer that's like really the thing that that cracks everything open at the end here and it's like Mm -hmm. it's so cool to have that be lurking there from like what elf did in book one as like the this is how we're going to think about ending the series Mm -hmm. i love that as a through line and it's like so satisfying
2: It's interesting, like, this is only, like, one lens on it, and I don't think it's necessarily even the most valid one. But looking at it from, like, a colonialist perspective of, like, or, like, post-colonial perspective or whatever of, like, Ciro tried to give all this technology, this sort of wider world to the Yerks, but he couldn't do it fully. He couldn't make the Yerks into Andalites. Like he could, he could come in and try to give the culture to the Yerks, but they didn't have morphing yet. So he couldn't really do it all the way. And now finally, they can actually take this other culture that they, completely destroyed by coming in and giving them spaceships and like giving them tack and you know the yurks caused their own destruction but still like the andalites instigated this that was zero's kindness like now they can actually fully make them a different culture or different you know they can fully make them not yurks and that's going to make it okay hmm. they just couldn't do it by like half measures were wrong but full measures are good
1: that is so fascinating
2: yeah huh i don't think it was like an intended the intended reading
1: I mean, yeah, I come, I, this is probably like, well, we can talk about it more at length, because as let's do with 53, but like, New York shouldn't be parasites.
2: <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah. feel bad about saying that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that's the thing yeah. where like, the sci-fi aspects of it make it different than, you know, colonizing on Earth. It's, it's not, it's not really the same situation. Yeah.
1: I, I think what I like about it is that it's like a really good, there are clear heroes and villains. And you get that in this ending. But the overall, like, shades of gray thing is like, there's no right answer when it comes to Ciro's kindness. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that um, that yeah, theme is really paid off in the, the way the ending yeah, I agree. is set up here.
0: Definitely. So a thing that Jake does in this book that's real cool is he goes and talks to the general in charge of the... <laughs> Alien Task Force, is that what it's called? Yes. Alien Alien Task Task Force One. One, Alien Task Force One, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. And it is a bunker in some mountain somewhere in Southern California that is... There's a ton of... Hundreds of soldiers and airmen, mostly armed with clipboards and palm pilots. 90s moment. 90s! And then Jake makes what I would like to point out is a ridiculous choice to show the power of morphing (laughs) by appearing in Morph in the middle of the, like, war room, getting arrested instead of shot, which seems unlikely. Morphing, getting out, doing it again, and he does this three times. And I would just like to point out, that is idiotic. Like, you could have died a lot. There were better ways to do this. Just pointing that out, it's fine.
2: That's definitely true. I I was thinking that while I read it, but I was also like, this is just, it's it's a great gag. And it was also a great, like, the human military has no idea what's going on. Jake has been fighting these things for years, and he really understands. And they're like, put him in prison. He's like, "Uh, this can't hold me. And he just, like, morphs Dragonfly again. (laughs) Keeps
0: coming out. It's so good. And then after the third time, the... General's like, no, no, no. after the fourth time. Oh, you're right. It's the fourth time. (laughs) Yes. So the fourth time he demorphs again and he basically says, general, why don't you stop being stupid and listen? And Uh the general finally is like, all right, Mr. Alien, what have you got to say to me? And they have this whole discussion about Jake says, we need your help. And the general says, what are you talking about? I'm a major general in the U.S. Army. You're a kid who can turn into a bug. I take my orders from the chain of command. That ain't you, Jake says. It was a nice try, but I've been intimidated by the best. Oh. After you stand up to the likes of Andalites, Visor One, and Cryak, you don't quiver just because some guy has stars on his shoulders. Ugh, oh, beautiful! Yeah, it just was such a great Jake moment. I I was just delighted by it.
1: I was so good. yeah, and like this has been such a great theme for jake oh, yeah. throughout the books is this a particular like a middle grade or ya like power fantasy of like <laughs> i'm a kid who knows more than the most important I mean, yeah it's i feel like, like it's a
2: fantasy for me and i'm a grown-up so
1: now oh awesome it's so good right i love it yeah. i love it a
0: plus
2: it's
1: also just like just all the way going back to the first time the elements shows up and they're like no one tells us what to do and yeah. they're like shouting at god basically yes
0: it's so good it's so good
2: it's my favorite Jake thing. Yeah. And it's it ties into I think you were asked, you were talking about like the appeal to kids and it ties in for me to the thing where like you're At least I, as a kid, was always very, like, eager to please authority. I felt like I really felt the weight of, like, you know, teachers and parents and, like, all these people who, like, I wanted the approval of. And, Mm -hmm. like, I had to behave in the right way to get that approval. And, like, this was all, you know, and I usually did, like, but but I felt that pressure. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really made the series appeal to me was the way this conflict with aliens gets them out of that pressure like they've got this sort of get out of jail free card
3: mm. jake
2: has been fighting galactic super beings and so he doesn't care what some like human army general says
0: mm-hmm. yeah he's so good he he is too tough for that which is just great Ugh, so good
2: yeah i was thinking also about the thing where i didn't know how this book would possibly resolve the entire huge war. And I think, Gray, you were saying you still don't know. And like, yeah, I guess I also don't know what's going to happen. But I was sort of expecting there to be more... I guess I wasn't expecting there to be as defined a battleground as the pool ship. And it's kind of genius, actually. Because mm-hmm. Jake was like, we take the pool ship, we've probably won. And I was like, is that true? Oh my gosh, I guess. Okay, wow, they figured out a way to make this... Like, global conflict local to mm. this, like, two-mile radius yeah. circle within their town. It's a really good point.
1: Yeah, and, like, I I remember feeling not just the, like, it's well plotted, but, like, that first chapter, I just had this, like, oh, yeah, like, this really raises the stakes in an exciting way. And, like... Mm-hmm. It's not obvious until it happens, but in hindsight, it makes so much sense, right? Because, like...
2: Like with blowing up the Yurk Pool. I was like, what the heck are they going to do? How are they going to get the Yurks out of here? Oh, they blow up the Yurk Pool. They take over the pool ship. Okay, that works. Yeah.
1: And, like, the pool ship gets introduced way back in book five. And then, like, it's it's a total (laughs) non-factor. But it's lurking there, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually
0: really loved that because... When the pool is destroyed, there's this kind of sense at the beginning of like, okay, what are they going to do next? Like, they're going to build another pool, but what are they going to do in the meantime? And the answer is bring the pool ship down, which is risky because what if the animorphs destroy it or capture it, which is what the plan is, but also kind of the only thing they can do. I do think
2: they should have had more of like a booby trap set up. Yes.
1: The Yerks, you mean? Yerks, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh,
3: yeah.
2: Like, they should have been doing it as a deliberate way to capture the Animorphs, and they don't seem to have been doing that, although they certainly did have very heightened security. Yes,
0: definitely heightened security, but it also, yeah, I'm not really sure what the deal was with them. I mean, it's visitor 1, what yeah. do you want? Well, and also the other thing visitor does with the pool ship is, here's my segue, he uses this opportunity to bring all of the currently non-infesting Yerks onto the pool ship. Because the the pool itself is been like, destroyed. Onto the onto, um, yes, yeah. All the way, all the Yurks who were in space, but also like I think he just. Collects all the yurks who don't aren't currently infesting anybody. Is that what he does? But they end up being like I don't
2: know where else they would have been. I think they all must have been in that pool. So there were they
0: would have been. But
1: presumably, the survivors of the yurk pool explosion, if there were any,
0: right? Yes, I'm sure they also went into that. So the majority of the yurks are now in the pool ship. All seventeen thousand yurks who are not currently in somebody's head are on this pool ship, um, which is a real safety concern, as it turns out, (laughs) or security concern.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that thing where Jake does that thing. That we've been talking um, about
0: since book six.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yes. So, Back in book six, you must have remembered this, Ted. I did oh, not yeah, remember yeah, yeah. this when I was talking about, is it legit that he is boiling this jacuzzi full of yerks? This is really an escalation. <laughs> A little bit. Can,
1: can I just like walk through? I really like how it gets, how it gets him there. And I feel like it's, I want to go through kind of like, the end of Jake's arc because we we talked we well we talked about like his rant mm-hmm. yeah he's like oh, yeah. this is it this is the battle and right? this is kind
2: of the, we talked about him watching the auxiliaries be killed and this is kind of the next step right 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 after that but happens
1: so, right before the auxiliaries get killed when he's approaching there's this bit where he's like he starts to have some doubts. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I know Tom is going to betray us and try and kill us at some point. I think I know when it's going to happen. But he's like, am I going to get like, he's sort of like, okay, you know, like, maybe Visser one's waiting for me. Maybe there is going to be a trap. Mm-hmm. And there's this bit where he's like, careful what you wish for, Visser. And then he says, careful what you wish for, Jake. <laughs>
3: um,
1: and at some point, he's like, he's going over his plan again and again. And he can see holes in it now. Nothing but holes. It would never work. It would never work. Right. So. This is another really good, like, psychological detail of, like, even though he's like, yes, I've got it. I can win. Mm -hmm. Of course, in that moment of waiting before the battle, he's going to be, like, freaking out about Mm -hmm. it. Then there's the bit. So they they go through the whole thing. Cassie gets fake killed. But, you know, Eric's hologramming, blah, blah, blah. Then it's the Jake's the only one on the bridge moment that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And this is the bit that you were talking about earlier, Jenny. We see Trisha get killed. Jake is pleading. Marco, they're killing James's people. How long? Marco says three minutes. Jake thinks it was a death sentence. Three minutes. More than enough time for the sharpshooters on the bridge. Too much time. They fired. If I demorphed here, I'd be seen. Nowhere to hide. I'd be shot, killed, accomplish nothing. Couldn't die. I was in charge. It was my plan. No time for gestures. When? That was all I had to do. When?
3: Mm and Very narrow focus
1: he's he's stuck and at the end of the chapter viscer one's gonna go to engineering and fight and he says this one's this ends now and jake silently replies yes it does and then when the animorphs get back together the first thing cassie says is what happened on the ground Jake says, I don't know if Tom went after the Texans or not, evasively. Cassie says, no, I mean the men on the ground, the soldiers, James's people.
3: Mm -hmm. Cassie
1: clarified, knowing perfectly well, I deliberately misunderstood her question.
3: Mm -hmm. And
1: Jake was reluctantly like, I think we were fast enough to save both of the soldiers, James's people. I don't think many of them made it. And they're worried that Rachel was down there with them and Jake has to come clean and finally says, she's my backup plan. She's with Tom. Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep my eyes on the floor. Cassie was Rachel's best friend, Tobias, her boyfriend, if that term could apply to a hawk. Harsh.
2: Yeah. Rude. I mean, maybe it was just his boyfriend. Bird friend.
1: I (laughs) I couldn't look at either of them. Oh, Jake, Cassie cried. You son of a Tobias began. You arrogant, ruthless. What have you done? What have you done? Can't let him get away, I said dully. Tom's yerk, a blade ship, probably the morphing cube. You were right, Cassie. I can't let that happen. Had to be, Marco said quietly. And they talk about Eric with the weapon system. And Marco's like, we'll be sitting ducks if Tom turns the blade ship against us. We all know that's his plan. I exploded. It's not Tom. It's not Tom. Don't call him that. It's the yerk in his head. Mm. It's the yerk, not my brother. No one even looked shocked at my reaction. No one was in his right mind at that moment. Tobias hated me hated me i could feel it and i hated myself had to be another way i couldn't kill rachel not my cousin rachel not after all the time she'd saved my life Mm -hmm. they morph battle morphs they're gonna cause a ruckus get viscer one to meet us on the bridge so he can disable the blade ship with the two shots they have don't let her die tobias said quietly find a way jake don't you let her die
2: oh that line
1: they they fight they're not sure that viscer one is actually like that they're creating enough chaos quickly enough for viscer one to meet them there before the blade ship can and can't attack them. They're fighting Hork-Bajir. Now the word would reach Visser-1. I hoped, hoped. He had to come to the bridge. If he stayed in engineering, he would turn the tide of battle against Toby's people. They get to the pool. Axe says that there are controls for the pool. We might be able to drain it. And there are hosts that can be freed to help them in the battle. And Jake thinks, a bonus, another new element. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Good, good, maybe. I knew the way the plan played out, knew what would happen. Rachel, Tom, Inevitable. Maybe new elements. Maybe the freed prisoners. Maybe this new opening. Maybe the Inevitable need not occur. Maybe we could save her. And they find the drainage controls. They free the prisoners. And then there's Axe being like, there is a flush sequence, but I have to override the safety protocols. It can be done. Jake says, okay. The pool is full to capacity. These are the Yerks that were rescued from the Earth-based Yerk pool, plus the bulk of the unhosted Yerks recently transported here. Some reason you're telling me all this, Axeman? Jake, there are 17,372 yerks in this pool. That rocked me. Visser One had to know we were here on the loose. He had to run for the bridge and not stay to win the fight in engineering. 17,000 living creatures, thinking creatures. How could I give this order? Even for victory, even to save Rachel. How could I give this kind of order? They could have stayed home, I thought. No one had asked them to come to Earth. Not my fault. Not my fault. Theirs. No more than they deserve. Aliens. Parasites. Subhuman. Flush them, I said. So, yeah. (laughs) The reason I wanted to take us through that is because it's so, like, it feels so driven by his moment-to-moment emotion and not the kind of, like, rational calculus Mm. that... Taking a step back, like, well, did he really need to do that? Right? Like, Mm -hmm, he's, like, mm -hmm. so desperate for any angle. And he is so mad about having, like come up with the sensible thing of sending Rachel along as, like, insurance, right? And mm-hmm, he, like, mm-hmm. the guilt over that is, like, part of what's driving him to be, like, I'm going to pull whatever levers I can, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I can change things.
2: Yeah. And the the way he's able to justify it to himself is just yeah. haunting.
1: And he can't, right, he can't do it by just saying, well, it could help. He has to, he's so horrified by what he does. He has to change the way he thinks about the Yurks.
2: Yeah, subhuman, oh. which sounds, they haven't done a lot of, thinking about the Yurks and what kind of people the Yurks are in recent books, they certainly have come to recognize that they are, you know, equivalent to humans in intelligence and personality and it's some of them are terrible and some of them are not mm-hmm. and it's not justified calling them subhuman like that's it there's so many echoes in there of so many other genocides yeah like there's like that's that's something that humans use all the time about other other humans like the idea that like oh these people are subhuman and that Jake is doing this like you can totally understand like it's not an unsympathetic decision like he these people have come to invade the planet they have driven him to this point of like 54 books of fighting them and well 53 I guess at this point and they are the aggressors here but also like he says they could have stayed home no one had asked them to come to earth That he doesn't know that that's true yeah. like he doesn't know that everyone there wants to infest someone he doesn't know that they've ever had a choice about yeah. where they've gone some of them are maybe future peace movement people like I mean this is all obvious of course what I'm saying it's just yeah, it's yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's so haunting yeah and
1: the the next page is worth reading too so this is the, the beginning of the final chapter in the book the Pool ship's main pool went through its standard cleaning cycle, draining the gray sludgy water out into the vacuum of space. The water and the parasite creatures within it froze instantly. The pool became an ice cloud falling away from the slow-moving pool ship. How many had Axe said? 17,000 and how many? How many Yerks had felt the sudden stab of terror as they realized what was happening? Frozen now. Crystals. An orbiting graveyard. Let's go, I said. We ran from that place. Ran from thoughts of what we'd done. Ran for the bridge. His fault. It was Visser 1's fault. All of it. Who had started this war? Not us. We hadn't asked for it. It was him. Him and his filthy, subhuman, parasitic race. His fault. Not mine. Mm. Not mine.
2: I love that the book puts this in like Jake's desperate attempts to justify it, his desperate attempts to take the blame for it and put it on his enemies because he recognizes that it, that there is blame there. Yeah. And like that, he thinks through like all those 17,000 and however many years like felt that sudden stab of terror. Like he's thinking about them as individuals and it, and he can't take it.
1: And you, you mentioned the, like the jacuzzi moment earlier. Right. And like, I don't know if like they probably didn't have this exact thing in mind when that happened, right? But the first, you know, seven or eight books or so are so much like Yerks are evil aliens and yeah, they're coming they to kill us, think right? About
3: the jacuzzi yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And they're just like, I'm just going to flush him. And we were kind of like horrified, just like, oh my God, he just killed them. They weren't, you know, that bad. And we've talked a lot about like whether how bad Yurks inherently are because they're parasites and mm. the things that they're doing. like using their mind-controlled slaves to fight yeah it's like it's truly horrible what they're doing Mm -hmm. but it's still and
2: they did come here well they did start it
1: well but but yeah but it's like the work that the series does to make the yurks feel three-dimensional from that point Mm -hmm. to then bring it to this moment where like jake has to lie to himself to say like you know they are just evil aliens coming to kill us it's like such a powerful
2: moment and there's such a parallel to what visser one does a few pages later when he's like okay but it wasn't you guys who defeated me it was tom like i could never have been defeated by all of you i was defeated by a fellow year right Ooh, and yeah. it's, it's not quite the same but it is the same like Desperate rationalization, like twisting the facts to fit some narrative you have to tell yourself. Yeah. I also wonder about the parallel to the end of 41, which isn't like I, 41 is the dream one. Oh, thank you.
1: Oh, like save I, Cassie, save the world.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this wasn't that situation, and it certainly wasn't as clear cut as like save Rachel, save, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it is save the world versus save. Save himself, maybe. Like, save the world versus save these yurks. Like, that moment of standing there being like, this choice is resting on me. I am paralyzed by this. What do I value more? I, I wish the series had, I guess been able to make a stronger parallel between this thing they spent a whole book on for some reason with like cassie versus the world what like how how did that choice prepare him for this one how did how has he traveled since that choice we Mm -hmm. unfortunately didn't see what that choice was and uh, it also isn't quite a parallel situation But, but i wish they'd done more with that yeah i also
1: think it's i like the messiness of this choice Mm. i I actually i feel a little weird being like oh my god this thing where jake genocides a bunch of yurks is like so compelling you
3: know (laughs) it's very
1: it's very good fiction yes
3: Um, it is it is
1: horrifying to think about the poor boy going through it and the horrible thing that he did um which maybe i'm not quite dwelling on as much as the the like How it fits into the narrative but (laughs) the thing that i like about the messiness of the choice is like the series is ending right and sort of the Mm -hmm. way that we most fiction i think has simpler choices than this Mm -hmm. and you would either get in a in a situation like this jake is like i flushed all these yurks because it was the only way and i feel bad about it but the way the plot works, everyone can see, it was definitely the only way and what yeah. I did mattered and it counted. Yeah. Or he'll say, even if it means I die and everyone dies and the war is lost, I won't do this uh-huh. and I'll keep my humanity. Well, that's and for good, plot right? reasons, yeah. it will work out anyway, yeah. right? Like you kind of get karmically rewarded uh-huh. and this choice is neither of those things, right? Mm-hmm. It's a total gray area. Yeah. The consequences, it helps a little bit, but maybe not enough to be a deal breaker. Like, yeah. Does you don't it help know... seventeen
2: thousand lives worth? Who knows? Well, right,
1: right, right. There's a, it's kind of meaningless to make that, that? calculus. Yeah. But I feel like most choices like this, where it's like he's like sort of staring into the abyss and trying to like, how? What is it worth to win? he makes the choice and he doesn't know how much it mattered, right? Like, yeah. I think that's the kind of, that's, like, the power behind it. And, you know, we'll see probably a little more in 54 yeah. about, like, whether it mattered or not. But... but it's
2: also, like, how he had to throw all of his people at this problem because he didn't know who he would need. Yeah, And it's hmm. narratively untidy in a way that's really good in compelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you're right. And I that, that
1: actually fixes point. the auxiliaries. Like, the fridging aspect of it aside, it would. To- I would totally buy, like, if he had thought, like, Oh God! Like I really didn't need to send all those people, right? Like if he if he had taken a second <laughs> yeah. just to be like, that was overkill, and that's a mistake I can own, right? Like that's yeah. again the same he kind of thing. You can't own right? mistakes
2: right now though, because he has to focus on winning. No, I know, yeah, I know, it's I know. so hard.
1: I also it, it, I was just thinking the Cassie versus the world thing. Cassie's already said you can't have me, right? Like he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't totally acknowledge this, but like him in the second half of the book is all like. I feel like there must be a seed of doubt planted Mm. by Cassie's like let's wait a year that's like
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean despite the fact that they're (laughs) sixteen, so waiting a year to get married is only unreasonable in that it's too soon. Yeah, but yes, no, I think, okay. I, yes, no, okay. I think you're To right. be
1: totally honest, I was in love at age 16, and if I had been fighting aliens with my girlfriend and trying to save the world, I probably would have taken that relationship very, very seriously. Yeah, know
0: that, that is true.
2: But I, it's that stupid. Is true.
1: Look at, as an adult giving him advice, <laughs> I would say this is really stupid, but I find it very relatable.
0: It's very relatable. It's actually interesting point. because I, I don't think Jake takes it as seriously as I might or as... This might be like as Cassie does, as Cassie yeah. does, but also like in an adult book, this would be would be a real character beat of like, oh well, if I'm not gonna get her, then like what is my motivation or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. not that for Jake. It really doesn't feel oh, like that. True. Like it doesn't yeah. seem to sink into him that what she's saying is like slow your roll. Instead, it seems more that he's kind of saying, yeah, but that that we're still gonna get together and get married to be happily forever after. But I'm gonna focus on this other thing now. And so I didn't well, at least that's how I read it
3: well i
1: i I'll add to that that like I could imagine this this would be so much worse if he was like, "If I do this, Cassie will never love me."
3: Oh. right like that would
1: <laughs> that be would reducing so it to much, that would be yeah, so yeah, stupid. but
2: <laughs> I really appreciate that even though the romances are like a significant element of these books they they're never prizes for the characters Mm, yeah which is how romance acts in so many like action movies so many just movies in general where it's like oh well if i defeat the yorks in the right way i get the
3: girl and it's a lot more it's a
1: lot more the thing jake does where he like he's like cassie's a good person and if she loves me i'm a good person which is like (laughs) it's sort of a prize but it's also like it's also just like a jake thing yeah (laughs) right like great How did you feel getting to this moment and like getting into this last chapter just about this decision and what was going on with Jake?
0: I mean, it's such a good question. I was very overwhelmed by all of the things that they were having to deal with all at once. And so many of the pieces are coming together. Like we talked about earlier. I mean, and and Jake identifies that, right? Like suddenly he sees this clear puzzle with all the, or this Mm -hmm. clear picture with all the kind of pieces coming together and I am am not a Jake, so I couldn't see that. I couldn't figure out what the plan was. I was trying really hard. Like, I took a pause. and was like, okay, if these are all the things we know, what is the plan? Aww. I did not get it. And, you know, seeing through Tom's deception and, and you know, the Tom team like going against them, and then the battle on the ground, and the battle in the pool ship, and then Jake being faced with this decision. It was all very overwhelming, and in part because Jake was making these decisions. Sometimes it seemed like kind of in the inspiration of the moment, as opposed to. As you were saying, you know, he doesn't have the time to take a step back and, like, make a different plan. That's not what's happening here. What's happening is we are in the heat of the battle, and the reason, one of the reasons that Jake is the general, is in charge of the Animorphs, is because in the heat of the battle, he's good at making those decisions, those snap judgment mm-hmm. calls. And those are the decisions that are the most difficult to make, and they've identified that over and over again throughout the series. And we've talked about this a bunch. Like, that makes Jake an incredibly good leader because... Making those decisions is so hard to do, and he does them, and he doesn't make excuses for himself. And I think it was really interesting that in this case, he did that, but then also kind of made excuses for himself. Like, I think this is one of the first Mm. times he's tried to do that. Yeah. That that may not be true, but I, I, I don't remember him doing it to this extent before, and I my I just highlighted a bunch of stuff in here that was like oh my gosh we have to talk about this seventeen thousand years like <laughs> we have to talk like where do they all come from like I have all these questions that are despite the title of the book uh, are not answered mm-hmm. and this is such a wonderful exemplar of the way that Apple Grant thinks about war and wartime oh yeah decisions that so true means, war is hell there is no good choice. There's no possibility of a better outcome once you're in a war. And it's so bleak that they don't give another option. Like, even if Jake had spent time thinking things through and, like, have another six hours to, like, plan this out, I don't see an option where people don't die and they don't have to make this call. And that is... that's really tough, especially for a middle grade book.
3: Yeah, so kudos
2: to this series for going to the slaughter of 17,000 at, like, sapient beings for, like, its hero's, like, final choice. I mean, I don't know what else is going to happen, but, you know, yeah, it's, like...
1: It's the climax of the the book's (laughs) themes.
2: The fact that... I mean, the fact that he can do it in a middle grade book probably has a lot to do with the fact that they are slugs and do not look like people, and that it's of such a... Distant method of like flushing the pool of space, which is also probably why he is able to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But just like what a what a move like on the part of the series. What like I move. really really respect that they went there. Yeah. But it's
3: yeah. But
0: they they brought it to its logical conclusion.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know
0: they 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 didn't cop out in a way that I think they could have, and it would have been very disappointing to us as like adult readers of fiction. But like. To a middle grade reader, a cap out might not have felt quite the same way. I don't know. You guys will be able to speak to that better because you actually read these in middle grade. But I feel like Mm -hmm. I didn't have the same sense of what, of of kind of story arcs. And so they they probably could have. And like, it would have been, even if it had been disappointing to the middle grade readers, that was an option for them. And they did not take that. They did Mm -hmm. the hard thing. And it's great.
1: Yeah. This is why, like, and we'll talk about this more in 54, but I think that's exactly right. Like, I think that the best thing about I like a lot of stuff about fifty four, but like the choice to end the war this way yeah. it was worth them coming back and ending it and like trying to shove all these mm-hmm. things in that didn't mm-hmm. necessarily make sense. Like it's like such a good like this is what they were writing about. It was so clear that Apple Grant cared about this from like Megamorphs three, Megamorphs Four, like when they when they mm-hmm. were coming back and contributing things to the series over time during the ghost written part. Yeah. Like yeah. they were really interested in them the animorphs as child soldiers
0: yeah yeah yeah. i mean it's that theme coming back so strongly and making them putting them in a in a situation where their only choices are bad it's such a strong move and such a real testament to how great these books are and and how strong apple grant are as writers
3: yeah
1: so i want to nerd out for a second about um, the trolley problem (laughs)
3: stuff that you guys
1: were just saying just kind of clicked for me Uh so like the trolley problem is there's a runaway trolley and it's heading towards you know five people on a track
3: Mm -hmm. do
1: you want to pull the lever so that it diverts to another track where there's one person who will die and it's like you'll save four people so like in some sense of like the value of life you know, that's good, but you have to then consign that other person to death who right. otherwise would right. not.
2: And you are killing them as opposed to just standing back and letting something happen. Exactly.
1: Okay. It's not your fault. It's just you have the power to affect the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. And so the trolley problem has been done, like done to death. Mm-hmm. People do all sorts of like, you know. You Variations. Know, like, no yeah. pun intended, but. Um, Wait, what? Done to death.
3: Oh no. <laughs> uh, Sorry.
1: People do... Think through it a lot, and it's like it's kind of like people treat it as math, but I think that's not really the point. And one of the things that I've always found super interesting about it is to think about what it would be like, right? Because, like, you're you're, it's not like you're doing math, it's like you see the runaway trolley, and there's the Mm -hmm. lever. Are you gonna run and pull it or not? And that says so much more about like how you act in the moment. It's like what kind of decision maker are you? Cuz like if you're a Cassie, you're never going to pull the lever even if you regret it later cuz you're going to be in your head thinking like, "Oh, can yeah. I really do it?" Mm-hmm. And if you're a Rachel, you're always going to pull the lever, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's just like very much people are different in that way. And one of the best examples of this Marco would pull the lever. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but one of the best examples of this is okay, let's say it's the trolley problem, but you can let it kill five people, or you can push someone into the tracks, oh, have them yeah. have them get killed, but it will slow the trolley to a stop, uh-huh. right? So it's exactly the same, except you are physically pushing, pushing someone right. in front of a trolley, which is so much yeah. more personal and upsetting yeah. than pulling a lever, right? And so, like... This has, I think, that element of he's deciding in the moment, and also he's like a, he's one step removed from doing it, yeah. right? He's not like squeezing seventeen thousand Yurks to death over one and over by and one. over oh again. Oh my right?
3: God!
1: There is a little bit of that, like they yeah. go on a taxon slaughter earlier in the book, yeah. so they do yeah. face that choice in a way. But right, like the fact that he's pushing a button mm-hmm. and not doing something, even like destroying the Kendrona and letting them starve out over three days, would be very different from yeah. this right, choice yeah. here.
0: Hmm. No, it's a Ooh. it's a really good point. And I, the other way in which that manifests, there's a, a great line that General has where Jake is describing his plan and the General says basically like, no offense, son, but you guys are guerrilla fighters, which is a very different thing than what you're asking us. You're asking us mm-hmm. for the charge of the Light Brigade. And it's such a good point and And something that we've talked a lot about is that their skills lead them to do these sort of raids, right? These kind of like, mm-hmm. you know terrorist style, like, yeah, Yeah, go in, do as much damage as you can and get out. And a final battle can't be that. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different arena. And the trolley problem is a great way to think about that too, because, you know, the variations of the trolley problem, the the main one is just, you know, do you pull the lever to divert it? But then you get these variations to continue the thought experiment, the thought experiment. And it's things like, okay, but what if the one person who dies is your mother, you know, or your, your spouse? What mm-hmm. if you don't pull the lever, but you, like, push someone in front of the tracks? What if, you know, there's all these different variations of it. And I think all of those often change the mental calculus that goes into the thought experiment to begin with, right? It's, you know, well, I guess I wouldn't do it if the one per- if it was somebody I loved who I knew I would kill by doing this. Like, but I would if it were me, right? If I could commit suicide by throwing myself in front of the tracks and divert it, then like, yeah, sure, maybe I'd do that. But it's all of those sorts of things that are the game time decisions that Jake's being forced to make. And I just think we've seen each of them grapple with their own version of the trolley problem in one way or another, right? Are we going to save Tobias's mom? Are we going to tell Marco's dad? Are we going to blow up the thing with the nuclear weapon? Right? Like that's a trolley problem. Yeah. Is the And really
2: this whole thing Jake doesn't have to do anything. Other people know about the years. Yeah. Like, humans know about the Yerks. Mm-hmm. Jake could just step back and be like, great, other you people's deal with problems. It. He doesn't have to take action. He could be the one who stands back and is like, it's going to go worse if other people are in charge, but at least I won't be the one doing terrible things. But I won't be there. Yeah. And that never yeah. even really occurs to him. I yeah. guess, like, that maybe is his conflict in Book 50 when he, like, wants to step down. But, like,
0: yeah, he bit, steps maybe.
2: forward and, like, pulls a bunch of levers.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, and I think he knows that, right? Like, the ways that he's describing this... Yeah, it seems like he's he's willing to talk.
2: The burden of leadership on himself and he like manages to handle that incredibly huge burden especially now that like everything is spiraled out by just narrowing his focus and being like nothing matters but winning it's their fault not mine right like just like shutting out all of the conflicting feelings just
1: you saying that i remember back in the oatmeal book that's the one where rachel's like thinking that win at all costs is the first step on the road to hell yeah oh my
2: god (laughs) yeah those words have been in the series (laughs) Yeah. yeah She's like, even I know.
1: There are some other things, like in the moment of the choice... We're, you were talking about how they're like a bunch of untrained kids. And, like, my understanding of how soldiering works is the reason you have such rigorous training is so that you do the right thing in those real time mm-hmm. situations, mm-hmm. right? And so, they, like, the ki- these kids do not have that tool set. Right.
2: It's incredibly right? impressive. They're able to take action in these right. situations. Mm-hmm. And, and, of it course, it's a lot to the training that they've had over the course of the series.
1: Yeah. Having that training doesn't mean you lack empathy or don't make mistakes, right? Like there are lots of people go through that and have to deal with the fact that they did the right thing or the wrong thing with good consequences, bad consequences, right? But like being presented with this choice, it re- it's not like, no one has ever coached Jake on when it's okay to kill Yorks yes, or not. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, but that true. is actually explicitly what soldiers are trained
0: in. Right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I mean, part of it is breaking a little bit of that empathy, right? If you if you are conditioned... Oh, yeah, that's a subhuman thing. Exactly. Yeah. If you're conditioned to make these choices in the heat of the battle, one of the things that that is doing is removing your ability to empathize with the people you're shooting in the heat of the battle. And, like, that's... an It, it has to be that way in order to do this kind of combat. But, like, that's a whole nother discussion about why war is hell, right? Is that you have to have yeah. this opportunity yeah. to do that. But
1: I, but I think... So I think one of the differences is... so. I don't know. I could be naive about the way wars are fought or whatever. But I I do think that there's a difference between that, like training into people that the people you're fighting in a war are subhuman Mm. versus saying that, you know, we're fighting for greater ideals or trying to do that more kind of like Andalite propaganda side of things like we are. We're fighting the good fight. Yeah. We're going to make you do bad things, but we're doing it for the people back home. We have there's a community here that can help you heal and grow afterwards, right? Like that kind of you can do bad things and we can try and like absolve you for them, right? Like that's the kind of thing that a functioning group of soldiers would be able to provide to jake and so Mm -hmm. so to me what it makes sense that he's like he has to tear his empathy away because he doesn't know another way but and
2: that's something he's trying to get from cassie like every time he looks at her and is like is this is this an okay decision mm -hmm. like she is not also she's not really equipped to be in that position it's way too much to put on one person especially someone you're romantically involved with like what a Mm, terrible situation but yeah it's uh something he knows he needs and is trying to get. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just want to just like, as a side note, Ted, feel free to cut this. I, (laughs) I do think that, um, the idea of some of what you were saying, I think is, is right. But I also think that it's some of the like romanticized version of the military that we get as a culture is to see the military as like a, a place of camaraderie where people are supported in the difficult decisions that they're making and then supported afterwards after they have experienced that trauma and I think that is propaganda in some ways because we as a culture say that and do not do enough for our vets in any meaningful way. Yeah, that's really true. And they are among the most at-risk population and the least cared for in so many ways and I think we, like, You know, I have family members who are in the military, and like you, I see that over and over again, right? It's like for people who are coming from certain backgrounds, the military is seen as a good option because you get this, like it's the brotherhood, and like you get into it, and they're going to support you, and you'll be part of this, and like you'll be a, you'll you'll be Be able able to do something a purpose, and that is not always the experience that they have afterwards, you know.
1: Thank you so much for for saying all of that. I think we should leave it in. And also like I think that what I was trying to talk about was more like, is there a more functional way to fight a war? Yeah. Right. I think there's a difference between war is hell and war is like
3: there are circles immoral
1: like full stop right like (laughs) because I I, like and I'm not I'm not like the dysfunction of the American military is not the same as like theoretically how can you fight in a war that's necessary and not kill yourself right away afterwards right like so like I I don't know I feel like I'm not being quite articulate enough but I want to I want I want to make sure that people hear what you said because I think that's very true
0: yeah my my um sister-in-law is a psychiatrist at a veteran's hospital and works a lot with, especially like Vietnam era vets, but now also Iraq and Afghanistan vets. And it's just really devastating to hear those stories. So I wanted to call that out. But I think you're right that there's like, there's a difference between like a hypothetical best scenario war where, where there's a clear enemy and a good way to win. And I'm not sure that exists.
1: So I don't actually know, but I would assume that... I would assume that there's like, I think some people who are trained to be sold, like this is again, I don't, I'm not, I don't really know, but I would love to learn more about this. So if listeners have resources they could point us to, that'd be awesome. I assume that some people go to war and come back and have genuinely lost their ability to empathize with people. And Mm -hmm. that's like pretty scary. I also know that there are a lot of people who come back and really, really struggle and don't get the support that they need. I do assume that there are some people who... For whatever reason, don't fall into either of those buckets. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's like people fighting in wars are all monsters or broken forever by it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where I was coming from. But like, I know you're not saying that, but it could be the case that. If you have any empathy at all, war destroys you. I don't actually know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: yeah, yeah no, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, it's a really good point, and I I don't want to.
1: It it could be the case that anyone who's been through what Jake goes through, child or not, is has is completely damaged, and it's truly horrifying. But yeah. I don't actually know. <laughs>
3: well, and it's
0: something that I was thinking about when I was reading this book too. Is there are callbacks. In this book, to both the Revolutionary and the Civil War,
3: mm. that I thought were oh,
0: yeah. like it's interesting that they do that, right? Because we've we've talked about both of them at length, sometimes unnecessarily, in previous <laughs> books, either because they are traveling back in time to these other mythical wars, or because I don't know some f- ancestor had a journal. Who cares? But I did think those callbacks were really interesting because one of the things we had talked about was whether you can have a clear-cut war effort like whether it, it, it is possible to have a war where there is an obvious reason to go to war and an obvious enemy against whom you're fighting and you are ever you are doing what you have to do and there is no other alternative or whether in every one of those wars no matter how clear-cut there is another option and to some extent I don't think there is another option in I in, in these books, I don't think that we are presented with a moral that if only they had talked before the before World <laughs> yeah, War Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. we could have had a complete like that is not what's happening in any of these books, right? That's not I don't think that Abel Grant is trying to say to us in any way that like yeah. there's always another option to war. I think the message is sometimes you go to war and it's always bad and
3: Yeah, yeah. those
0: are your options. Like everything sucks yeah. forever it's all going to be really bad and that is a real world message in a way that I think in some ways it's like the, t- the trolley problem but like you pull the lever and in order to kill that one person and end up killing both the five people and the one person because yeah. you yeah. thought you were doing the best you could with the knowledge that you had, but it turns out when you pulled that lever, it replicated the trolley, and now there are two trolleys. And you thought yeah, yeah, you were yeah, doing yeah. the right it's thing, like blowing but instead up to your everybody pool.
3: Does. They just, yeah. yeah so just I, turn I the whole city.
0: you know, it's one of the wonderful things about these books that, like, that's the bleakness and misery that we are faced with. And it's true, and it's awful, <laughs> you know? Yeah, i I was wondering. In the passage
2: where um, Jake is talking about, like, you know, people talk about the glory of war. I'm about to go kill a bunch of Texans. I don't think there's any glory in this. Maybe I missed that. Mm-hmm. And and I know I've, I think I'm, I'm like, cribbing from somewhere. I, I can't remember where I've heard this, but, like, it has been alleged that, like, it's impossible to have a war story that doesn't glorify war in some way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, like, reading this, like, I, I do a little bit feel the truth of this. Like, this is definitely saying that war is hell. But also, we love these kids. We love reading about their adventures. And like, it's mm-hmm. hard to not root for the righteous violence. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting huh. question.
1: I mean, that's a really good point. But now I'm like really thinking, wait, why is glorifying war bad? Because it's so relatable. Righteous violence is such a, temp- like a human temptation.
3: Well, I don't right? think so these are we... trying to No, but,
1: no, but war. what do you mean? They're well, trying to entertain they're... us by telling a war story, right? <laughs> but they're
2: also trying to tell us that war is hell. Yeah, I war can like...
1: be glorious hell, right? That's what Rachel would say.
2: Interesting. <laughs> I yeah, I I think probably glorifying war is not great because it is hell and
1: Cuz you could take you could ignore the the like war is hell part and just think about how cool it is. I
2: feel like we're having two different conversations. <laughs> we might be. I just
1: I'm just saying like I agree like I guess depiction of glory doesn't necessarily mean endorsement of war.
2: That's true. I think that's what I was trying to say. I I think I'm trying to get at something... I think that's a really good point. I'm trying to get at something a little bit different, which is the thing where form fights content sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like, these books are... (laughs) trying to tell us that war is terrible, but they're also trying to entertain us via war, which is inherently conflicting in a mm. way. Yeah. And so it does undermine its own point a little bit by having us glory in this war by reading these books. But
1: it's also a little but your reaction to the series is very much a reaction against mm. like them doubling down on this theme, right? Because like true. you read so nineteen that's
2: why I hated the ending. Well you read nineteen <laughs> and you
1: were like, oh gosh, this this war is destroying these kids and it was like yeah. a, you couldn't go back from that. And then, like, yeah, I mean, there I are lots of come other back problems I to enjoy with...
2: it after that, but that that might have happened in a more extreme way at the ending. I I don't remember yeah. my reaction yeah. to the ending well enough. But... but you wouldn't...
1: No one would like the series if it were, like, this book 54 times. That's right? true. You need yeah. them all... You need Helmicrons and, like, all the other nonsense to, like, get you hooked a little bit, right? Like,
3: I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I
2: don't know. That's the thing. If you're going to tell a good story, you... Like, there has to be some satisfaction in there. There, yeah. there has to be the glory yeah. of it. It's
0: like the idea that Helmicrons are really just there to break up the monotony of the horrors of war. Like, the Wars of War (laughs) plus these really tiny, annoying people yelling at you. It is.
1: Another way to think about it. it is, like, we're asking, should Marco be less funny in like, a (laughs) book about, you know, like... Because, like, one of the great things about the TV show The Wire is, like, how absolutely hilarious every character is. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but, like, the fact that, like, hey, these are, like, police who like each other, who are good at their jobs. It's like talking about the dysfunction of an American city, but it's still glorifying police work and making you feel relatable to these, like, detectives who beat people up and get away with it you know mm-hmm. when when they shouldn't right like i yeah, it's just an I interesting media problem and...
2: fundamental problem in a lot yeah. of shows like that. Like including the wire where you're like, you step back and you're like, these cops are objectively terrible. And there's this system that they're policing in is terrible, Yeah. but they're your protagonists. But, so you kind of root for them anyway. Well, it's... right.
1: But like, if the truth is that people are terrible, then like, should you just not have entertaining media? Right? Uh, like, okay. That's the...
2: a straw man, Ted. No, that's I a mean... straw man. No,
0: okay. <laughs> okay. okay. This came up a couple times. I was a couple of, uh, people have been having this discourse in like Tumblr and Twitter in the last few weeks as we've been talking more about, you know, the protests around Black Lives Matter and, and defunding the police. And people are kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, one of the ways that manifests is we have a lot of media, a ton of media about Propaganda. good cops. Copaganda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and by glorifying their roles, are we in some way exacerbating the problem of policing in this country? Because oh, we're definitely, you know, and, and I think that's true. <laughs> but how does that apply to the animals? Like, is it glorifying war or by pointing out that war is hell i mean when we did the um the mailbag a few weeks ago and i was putting my book recommendations on our website for that episode one of the categories was war is hell and as i was listening to the episode and like our conversation about that i cut a lot of it because basically what we were saying was like yeah in real life you guys war is hell which like we did not need to have that (laughs) 10 minutes in a very long episode but that included my book recs, because a lot of them were like, here are real stories about war being terrible. And I was like, I need to write that down. Like, you guys know, you, you can open any book and war is terrible in the real lives. People die, people are traumatized, mm-hmm. civilians die, bad things happen. And like, that doesn't make those stories less valuable necessarily. But I do think that the end result is very dependent on what the message is that we're getting from them. Are we getting the message that, like, war is hell, but we should do it anyway because there's something about it that's glorious? Or are we getting the message that war is hell, and if there's any possible way to avoid it, please let's do that.
2: Yeah, and I also, like, part of my asking this question isn't saying we shouldn't have any media about war. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't mean to put those words in your mouth. I'm just, like,
2: I yeah. guess I, I'm not I, trying
1: I, to create strongmen, but you, it's fair to call <laughs> me out.
2: It was more just, like, just pointing to the inherent difficulty and, like, potential paradox of trying to tell any story with that message. Mm. And I think, you know, Animorphs does a pretty good job of, like, yeah, no, war war is really bad. Real bad. And I I think different media, you know, falls in different places in the spectrum. I'm not sure it's ever possible to completely get rid of the, oops, I'm telling really entertaining stories about something terrible. Like, should I be doing that? I don't know. But, like, Mm. Animorphs does, you know, beat the drum pretty hard about, like, oh actually no, yeah. this, is, this is really awful and the deeper into it we get the more awful it is and the more damaged we are
1: yeah yeah i think that's i have tons more to say about this but we'll have this conversation again yeah. after we read the next book yeah
2: we're going
0: <laughs> so, to like we're
1: done with this yeah this topic this
2: series uh, we are I think do. i will have more to say after the next book also i really
1: want to revisit the idea of like what are the what are the what are the feelings you Li, you have about war coming out of this series? Because I really feel like
0: tomorrow we're gonna find
1: yeah, out. the last two books have a lot to have a lot to say about that.
0: I mean, at the moment, I feel so, really good about it. So let's see what tomorrow think, yeah. brings. Just
1: kidding.
3: yeah.
0: So we should probably wrap up. um I had a couple '90s moments. Okay. <laughs>
2: audience are you... moments. <laughs> One when the soldiers are carrying Palm Pilots, which, wow, totally forgot those existed. Yeah. Amazing. So cool. And also the, I think it was a soldier that they saw who looked like a Baldwin brother. Yes, they did. What, what a reference. What a random what thing to drop in reference. there. What a reference. I tell ya. Do you want to predict book 54? Uh,
0: I don't, but I will. I mean, mostly because... Do you want to look at the cover? I have to admit, this is the one thing that's been spoiled. I had seen this cover. I mean it's not really a spoiler. Oh wow. But I had I had I have I had seen this cover before today. Um but I yeah, have not seen like the inside cover. Like yeah. Um so can I look at the inside cover?
3: Um Sure.
0: I imagine it's not going to help. Okay. Um, all right, uh, the last book in the Animorphs series is called The Beginning.
2: The I think they got it backwards. It was probably a typo. It seems like a typo. Yeah. This is supposed to be the title of the first one.
0: Um, the cover is the six faces of the Animorphs sort of superimposed one upon each other. Jake, Rachel, Tobias, Cassie, Marco acts in that order. kind of. Oh, it's the book order! They're silhouettes. Let's see what they did there. Um, the cut text is, it will it began with six, it will end with five. Um, that is incorrect. It began with five. They added a sixth. <laughs>
1: then they added a seven. They <laughs> then they lost that one. Then they added 17 <laughs> more.
0: more things happened. <laughs> Factually incorrect cut text. Um, okay, and There's I'm going to look at the inside cover. Oh my god. Alright, it's their faces again, but they're like, I don't know, floating in space, and it's just their heads, and it's kind of creepy, and... Now I yes. think the middle is meant to be Rachel, but it's
2: scary. It doesn't look anything like any of the Rachels we've seen before, things. which is no. just weird.
1: It's Melissa Chapman!
0: <laughs> Spoilers, Ted!
2: Why do you think Melissa is Ted's favorite? What's her role in this coming book.
0: Are, I'm not sure that the kids on the inside are the same as the kids on the front. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is the last book. It is a Rachel book. Rachel dies. That is my prediction. I, okay. uh, for a while I thought we'll it was going to be Cassie, but I, I've... I think that there's been enough foreshadowing in the last few books and also given where she, we left her in book 53 off with Tom in a suicide mission. It seems like it's probably going to be Rachel. Okay, so here are all the factions we have. We have Rachel in the blade ship with Tom. I think that mm-hmm. her mission from Jake is to take them out if necessary and that that is the order that that is the order that he's going to have to give or that she's going to obey and so she is going to die in the process of taking them out which means that tom is going to die as well okay that's that true yes and then on the pool ship we've got the other anamorphs with viscer one and then all the yurks that they just spaced so i think they're going to you know land the the pool ship again and use viscer one as either like a a Hostage or to negotiate with the Council of Thirteen somehow to end the invasion.
1: I have an annoying technical question. Oh, uh oh. If Rachel is dead at this point, how are we hearing about anything else in the book?
0: I think they're going to switch narrators. They've done that before. Okay. Right? Like they did that with Cassie when she was a butterfly. They did. I think they'll and switch with narrators. Rachel and Marco in 42. True. Yeah. Yeah. The homicron's return. That's right. So I think. I Sorry, think to interrupt eventually... your protection. No, it's good. Um, so I think at some point, Either they switch narrators, or like her death is one of the last things that happens. The free Cork Bajir and the Chi are going to help free the controllers who are still alive. And the... is
2: Eric super mad at the uh, at the animals? Yeah, he's
0: not speaking to them anymore. But at least the war will be over, so they can get new friends. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And the free hork are going to find their way, like, grab one of the bug fighters and get back to their planet or something. Like, maybe free the hork planet, something like that. Mm, nice. I think the humans are on Earth are going to, like, as, the, as part of the conclusion, they're going to kick the Yerks off, and then there's going to be a rebuilding process which also includes the animorphs kind of rebuilding their own fragile psyches so that they can become adults. Um, mm. And of course the last piece uh, is what happens with the alamist. At this point, I'm going to guess that we don't really get any kind of conclusion to the Elemist cryac nonsense, because how could you even fit that in? We have one book left. These books aren't that long, um, <laughs> but the Elemist does need to come back, I think. And I don't know how that's going to work. And I i actually, I hope that he does come back. I hate him and I want to rant about him again. But also, mm-hmm. because otherwise, the only reason we know that I'm going to say Rachel or whichever the Animorph is that dies, the un- only way we know they get closure for their actions is from the book ending in the oh, Animus yes, Chronicles. And yes, that would yes. be very annoying and not enough. I would like them to have more closure and a kind of peace as they die, that their actions were not in vain. And I do think that there is going to be some kind of epilogue that's, like, not 20 years later, maybe, but, like, five years later, stuff is rebuilt. We have houses. Ooh! Where are they all in five years? Not living in the woods of the Horkbyshire anymore. Um, nice!
1: <laughs> not even one of them?
0: <laughs> maybe Axe. I think Axe moves in with Marco and his parents. I think many of them go off to college. I think... Jake joins the army, and Axe, maybe, no, Axe stays with them. I think he stays with them. He might go back to the Andalite planet, but, like, that doesn't seem right. I think he stays with them. Okay. Uh, so that's Axe. Axe stays with them. Yep.
3: Jake goes to moves the army.
0: In. Jake goes to the army. Cassie and Marco go to college. Cassie's going to go in pre-med. Marco's going to uh-huh. go in history. <laughs> Probably <laughs> history. history. Well, because now he, like, really has a connection to those historical events. Um, specifically American history. Wait, wait. What happens to Rachel if she lives? Well, also goes to college. Full scholarship, merit scholarship for her grades and her gymnastic prowess. Um, Mm -hmm. and she's going to be, like, pre-law or business or something like that. And then, Mm -hmm. um, Tobias now splits back into a person. Um, because the war is over he doesn't have to be an anamorph anymore. Is that true? I think that's true. And then he can grow old with Rachel and they can live happily ever after. If Rachel dies... However, he's going to stay a bird forever. Okay. All right. What happens to the Yurks?
1: Wait, uh, are oh, Cassie and Jake married in the epilogue? Oh,
0: that's right. Uh, Cassie and Jake are engaged but not married. Okay. It's only been five years and they're still babies. <laughs> Infants. What Children. happens to the Yerks? The few remaining Yerks who did not get spaced in this book, who are not amongst the 17,000 Yerkes who just died from, in this book, uh, go off in the pool ship and get all blown up by the Andalites.
2: Oh, wow. Okay, so the Andalites show up and blow up the remaining Yerks. So
0: there are just no Yerks left. No no Yerks left. Okay, what happens to the taxons? Um, they all, get turned are they all in, dead? No, they all get turned into anacondas and let loose in the rainforest. Nice.
2: Oh, that was my other Audie's reference. This was one year too soon for Baby Got Back. Uh, Ugh.
0: <laughs> so um,
1: good to know. What happens with the Andalites?
0: Um, The Andalites are real jerks still. They show up. Jake explains to them that actually they were the Earth has been able to save itself, and they don't have to... Do anything. Please don't do anything. And the Andalites blow up the Yorkship and then jet back home. What okay. happens
1: to Esplin after the negotiation?
0: Um, he dies in a freak hiking accident. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Poor Aloran. After all that.
0: <laughs> wait, wait. Where is he Hiking.
1: He's obviously on, like, Venus or something, right? <laughs> what? Getting another monster.
0: Yeah, he's getting another monster pet, and uh, and he slips and uh, is never seen from again.
2: So he doesn't get blown up with the pool ship when no. the Andalites blow it up. Okay, great.
0: I don't know, you guys. I've predicted so many of these books, and I've been wrong so many times. I'm out of ideas.
1: Delightful. Delightful. Okay.
0: All right. Anything i think we, i think we should call it i think we
2: should we should uh, resume next time for book 54 yay
0: we get to find out what happens oh i'm God. so nervous
1: big day tomorrow that's all right
2: you already told us everything that happens and most of it seemed good so yeah i don't so, want rachel yeah. to die
0: she's gonna die and i'm gonna be sad i don't want
2: it well that probably won't happen you're fine
1: okay Or we could never find out what if we just what if we just yeah. stop here
3: we Let's stop the podcast in and 53. they
2: all lived happily ever after the end
0: if you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Taction. Taction!
1: The facts on Taction.
0: Are you looking for some facts on taxions? No.